Good afternoon, good evening, America. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Sea Report, coming to you guys live on uh, this uh, Tuesday, January 4th, 2021. And I am your host, Mr. C, as per the usual, and uh, most excited to be here with you guys tonight. And I hope everyone is doing well. And uh, just as a heads up, I apologize yesterday about my absence on the air. I had a doctor's appointment uh, and I can report all is well, uh, at least in their eyes, ladies and gentlemen. And there we go. And also a quick change of background to, oops, I had the wrong one running. Uh, yeah, maybe you guys didn't notice it and uh, you definitely didn't notice it if you're joining us over on our post- podcast side. <laughs> uh, but we are coming to you guys live on all platforms tonight. Uh, we are visiting, visiting with you guys live from uh, pill.net, the foxhole.app, DLive, Trovo, Twitch, and Clout Hub. And don't forget about that podcast. We'll have that up and running a little bit later in the evening tonight as we get ourselves situated and uh, uh, ready and rearing to head up the week. How on earth is this week going, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, You know, it seems like we have the same slush of news uh, just cycling and recycling Perhaps with a few little tidbits here and there uh, that uh, kind of spruce up some of the storylines that the news has been reporting. Of course, uh, you know, we have the uh, uh, entire debacle with uh, a mansion having over there in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, the way he keeps on foibling the Democrats' plans. One wonders where that man really sits, but I guess time will only tell, right? And then, of course, uh, we still have everything that's going on with the January 6th false flag riots and the unselect committee uh, as they continue to to attempt to press forward with anything that they can to try and uh, force the public opinion. In my opinion the public opinion, that is exactly what they're trying to do, you know, uh, because they really have nothing available uh, to kind of uh, prove the cause that they've been fighting for, for what, a year now? Well, it'll be a year and uh, two days, actually, or, you know, a a day and a half or a quarter, depending on if you're counting the hours down. Uh, But quite honestly, you know, I think one of the uh, most recent uh, efforts I'd seen, and this is coming from the mainstream media, uh, primarily, is uh, they just want to uh, deliver to the audiences out there that they think are going to be uh, beholden to, you know, their untruthful truths, right? That, uh, oh, you know, Fox News and all their correspondents were messaging President Trump and messaging his staff and administration, telling him that he needs to call off the riots. And uh, and now they're saying, oh, even his daughter uh, text messages uh, telling him that he needed to call off the violence. You know, at the end of the day, I'm kind of glad uh, that we had a president that wasn't going to be listening to the mainstream pundits or even his daughter in that regard and really... The question I have to ask is, what does it matter who is telling him what? Uh, And so you see what I'm saying here is the mainstream media is uh, trying to use the the court of peer pressure uh, 
And uh, just because, you know, all of those uh, individuals out there half asleep, fully asleep, or just uh, not wanting to wake up, uh, just because they succumb to the peer pressure, you know, of uh, uh, getting that vaccine, putting on that mask, uh, voting uh, for Black Lives Matter or what have you, I guess they feel that uh, the rest of us awake would uh, kind of fall into that same category and be like, yeah, that's right. You know, Fox said Trump should do this. His daughter said Trump should do that. Uh, Senator Representative so-and-so said Trump should do this or that. In the end, ladies and gentlemen, really, we're not beholden to peer pressure or we wouldn't be where we are. In fact, I think uh, I think uh, most individuals who are awake uh, are, are like the antithesis, antithesis of peer pressure. What would that be? Encouragement? <laughs> do as you please, uh, but just uh, don't mind me and don't bother me and I'll do the same. Mm? Oh, uh, or perhaps it just boils down to uh, that word they call respect. So anyways, all of that stuff's still going on. And we'll see what happens with that. I think um, the latest development uh, that I think is worth mentioning is that uh, President Trump was supposed to be having a uh, press conference of sorts on January 6th on the uh, anniversary of the J6 false flag riots. And uh, it seems now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, according to a recent headline that just broke that President Trump has canceled that press conference. Um, uh, No other detail was given on that. Um, The only other thing that I know opposed to that is that, and I don't mean opposed to that news, but I mean opposed to President Trump's press conference, is that uh, supposedly the illegitimate joke, the leader of the administration, the head clown in charge, uh, uh, pedo Joe, sleepy Joe, creepy Joe Biden, and his uh, his supposed vice presidential, uh, you know, uh, um, friend there, and we'll just call him that, uh, Kamala Harris was also supposed to be having a press conference on that day. So I think that's pretty interesting that uh, they maneuvered these two clowns into a position where they would be having a press conference on the same day as President Trump had announced his press conference. And uh, perhaps that has something to do with the reason why President Trump canceled the press conference. Uh, I mean, I think it would have looked stellar, at least in an optical uh, point of view, as far as optics are concerned, if uh, we had uh, three press conferences by a supposed president, by a uh, an illegitimate vice president, and then uh, the real president, or as uh, a lot of um, a lot of the mainstreamers out there say, the former president. If there had been three press conferences on the six, I think it would have been stellar to have seen. Uh, the ratings on that. (laughs) It would have been stellar to have seen uh, the comparison, you know, Uh, the juxtapose of the negative views and the negative reach versus uh, the reach that someone like President Trump still has. Uh, But nevertheless, I guess uh, more details on that will come out soon. Now, there was a lot of speculation about exactly why and, uh, you know, what would have been said uh, from President Trump during the January 6th press conference. I personally was looking forward to it. Of course, if you're uh, if you're uh, privy to some of the, uh, you know, the 
the deeper, further, I don't know how you would say it, more of those headlines that just don't really reach the headlines. There was a lot of speculation about uh, possibly uh, some statements or declarations that President Trump would have made. But again, we can't speculate, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I definitely try not to here at the Sea Report, although I am admittedly guilty of doing that sometimes. Uh, uh, but uh, so as to say, um, we will not know the date or time or place for that matter. Uh, since according to Nancy Pelosi, uh, geography doesn't matter, right? But we won't know the date, place, or time of when things will happen, when things will change over. All we can really do is, uh, you know, follow our gut, continue to have faith. And in some instances, in the instances of those who um, are able to do that digging and that research and uh, really try and uh, hound out what is going on, um, possibly try and get a maneuver in there bet between the headlines and see what's really going on, you know, uh, because there are a lot of different, uh, there are a lot of different theories, stories, ideas, and speculations out there about what is really going on behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, while I like to stay positive and optimistic and, uh, hopeful or faithful, um, you know, uh, you have to, uh, you have to really, really, uh, uh, bear down on what, we see, again, versus what is being reported and the likes. But if any other information in that regard comes out, we'll most definitely get that to our audience as soon as possible, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope you guys are doing great on this Tuesday evening. We have a jam-packed show for you guys. Um, we have a few, quite a few statements from President Trump that I think uh, will be fun to kind of get into. Uh, he's uh, recently done a slew of endorsements uh, that will uh, actually take a look at some of, endorse, of his endorsees. And uh, we'll take a look at some of the, uh, the things that they have contributed to the America First cause, as well as some of their um, opponents in the upcoming 2022 midterms. And uh, so, uh, well, I think that should be pretty interesting, along with another very interesting endorsement that I thought was rather interesting. And uh, that would have to do with an endorsement of an international prime minister, ladies and gentlemen, because we like to shine a little bit of a spotlight on uh, some of our allies around the world. Because as you know, the Great Awakening, the fight for liberty and freedom, the fight for human rights and our ability to uh, govern ourselves is not limited to the shores of America, even though uh, America is the main stage, right? And uh, we are the, uh, I guess we are the, um, uh, we are the, uh, the closing act in that regard. We are the, uh, we are the headliners when it comes to fighting for freedom and liberty. And so we take that cause up with pride here. But always great to have a perspective on who in the world might be possible allies. And uh, so um, uh, an endorsement from President Trump that came, uh, like, was it today, I think, if not yesterday, uh, shined a light on uh, um, a world leader that uh, I wasn't aware of. Uh, for one, and perhaps if I'd been paying attention back in 2016, I might have been uh, cued into it, so to speak. Um, but no, it's not like when we're talking about uh, President uh, Bolsonaro of Brazil, or if we're talking about the um, Alternative for Deutschland party out of Germany, uh, you know, or even Marie Le Pen out of France. And there's there's two there's two uh, two uh, conservative type nationalist statist uh, parties out of France. But uh, we all see how France is doing right now. They're not doing too good, particularly as uh, we have um, 
we have the uh, the COVID clash, the clash of the COVID, the uh, tyrannical overreach of world governments, all uh, all falling uh, all falling in line uh, with whatever you know uh, autocratic dictatorial commands uh, that come out of you know the likes of uh, the WHO and uh, other fear mongers uh, that are uh, pushing this, uh, again, this tyrannical uh, pre-planned pandemic, you know, situation on all their people. And the people continue to rise and fight. Uh, But I think also when we're looking at the world stage, it illustrates about how embedded this globalist uh, elitist reach goes down. Globalist, elitist, transhumanist, satanic, communist, Call it what you will, but you know it's 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 embedded deep. And if we uh, think that America has a swamp of its own, whew, man, don't look at that swamp overseas. Um, I I find it kind of uh, interesting to kind of think as uh, much of a battle as it been has been to drain the swamp of America. Uh, can you imagine uh, what needed to be orchestrated in order to pull all of that down on a world stage? right? To really clean all of that out. So anyhow, guys, we won't get off too far into that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be visiting, we'll be visiting with another world leader um, that is supported by President Trump, received his endorsement, and uh, we'll kind of examine a little bit uh, about what's going on over there. And then, of course, uh, the pushback that's coming from the uh, international mainstream, lamestream, uh, fake news, legacy media, Uh, as they try and demonize anyone in association with these men. All right, guys. So we've got a great show for you all tonight. And we'll wrap it up with some uh, courtroom headlines for tonight. Uh, As we're looking at some cases uh, that will include uh, taking us over to New York. Uh, Some of of it involving President Trump as well. And then, of course, uh, just uh, tidbits of information on what's going on with the uh, Virginia uh, Roberts Jufree. Uh, settlement news that's come out, and also uh, Prince Andrew and his uh, fight to dismiss the charges of child rape that are being brought against him again by one Miss Virginia Jufree. Uh, before we get into that, though, ladies and gentlemen, just going to hop on over to the chat room real quick over at uh, pill.net and the foxhole.app to say a howdy do and a hello. Uh, good evening, Mr. Pilled by the Rabbit. Yeehaw. It's great to be here with you, too. Mikey be bad 13. Good evening. Welcome in. Railanon, how you doing, sir? Good evening, and thank you for the 117 gold pill donation. Depatriot1776, good to see you, my friend. Glad you're with us as well as Casual Gigi and uh, Sherry Pittsburgh and Skeeter Burke and Classical Chick. Howdy, 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 ladies. Great to have you along with us. And uh, um, I hope you enjoy the show for tonight. Uh, Depatriot1776 makes a uh, pointed three-word statement. Mass formation psychosis. All right. And this is a term that I don't know that many people are familiar with. I know it's a term that I was not familiar with. Uh, uh, Was this perhaps coined by one Dr. Malone? And I think that's exactly what uh, um, Depatriot1776 might be referencing here. Um, I heard it first on the uh, Joe Rogan interview with Dr. Malone uh, when he pointed that uh, theory out about why the world is in the state that it's in. 
And again, that was a stellar interview. Ladies and gentlemen, if you all have not seen it yet, I would highly recommend uh, that you do. Uh, we'll actually be talking a little bit about that tonight as well. So it's very interesting that uh, you brought that up, Miss D Patriot 1776. Thank you very much. And uh, well, we won't get into too much of the detail about what Dr. Malone and what um, Joe Rogan were talking about. Uh, suffice it to say, it is all about uh, COVID-19, this genuinely manufactured uh, mRNA and the mRNA vaccines uh, and how that plays into the world stage, as well as the telltale signs of um, the people of this world actually being uh, fall, actually having fallen victim to a one-world tyrannical government. It is one that we uh, have failed to see, at least on a large scale, while a lot of us have been... Uh, a lot of us have been pretty savvy to its existence. Uh, it is only now uh, that we can really see its extensive reach and uh, all of the uh, all the connectors, everything that puts this one world tyrannical government together. And I think particularly under the guise of a false emergency, right? Uh, a subterfuge that has, uh, has um, conned everyone into believing uh, that fear of their life uh, you know, uh, dispersing and vanishing at the hands of a planned pandemic uh, is really one of the formulas that they use in order to capitalize on consolidation of uh, of our freedoms. And again, that's across the world. But uh, this was an orchestrated event, ladies and gentlemen. And I think that that is coming out more and more every day, but more so to those who are previously not awake more so to those who were half asleep. Uh, their eyes are nudging open, ladies and gentlemen. When you attack someone like Joe Rogan, uh, who, uh, God bless his soul, has an extensive reach uh, and is truly, truly nonpartisan audience, um, yeah, you know, uh, it, starts to, it starts to make some people question and wonder. And hopefully those people were paying attention to some of the recent headlines. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, a lot of our show is going to be geared up towards the statements that President Trump has released in the last day or so. So that should be, uh, that should be some good stuff of conversation. Uh, Skeeterberg says, I saw that President Trump delayed the press conference, but still intends to hold it. Uh, that, yeah, that may be true, Ms. Skeeterberg. Um, I saw that he'd canceled it. So perhaps the cancel is the delay. Uh, he canceled it for the 6th. Uh, but perhaps delaying it, that's not to, so that's not to say that he's not going to have the press conference. But um, from what I read, it appears that it will not be held on the 6th as originally intended to. Uh, Depatriot does say that he is having a rally in Arizona. Indeed, he's having that on uh, Saturday. Is that the 15th? Yes, that is correct. Uh, so that should be interesting as well. I mean, um, perhaps uh, that that is where the delay shall pick up with this press conference, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting, guys. It's pretty interesting when you read some of those uh, other headlines about what's going on in the background, and then you see kind of the uh, the scheduling and the maneuvering that's happening in the foreground. Um, there's no telling what could happen or what's really going on. This is indeed, though, a very exciting time, guys. Very exciting time, very exciting period. Uh, not only to be alive, but to be aware and awake. 
ladies and gentlemen, because uh, we, uh, we've got a lot more pool and we are a lot closer than we've ever been. And that's actually the reminder I have to give to myself and to others, you know, when, uh, when that, uh, that opinion is sought out is that uh, even though uh, you know, a lot seems to be a business as usual, it's not. It's not business as usual. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go on through the night. And, uh, you know, uh, compared to five years ago, compared to 10 years ago, compared to 15 years ago, about as long as I've been in the game, uh, there are a whole lot more people awake and aware, and there are definitely more people who are standing up and fighting and resisting um, in an effective way than 10 or 15 years ago, you know, whereas we could only uh, uh, decry and uh, share our grievances with our elected representatives who, for the most part, a lot of them were not representing us at all. Um, and, uh, you know, to even having our protests and our rallies, right, um, to now where we actually see litigation, uh, we actually see pushback in the judicial system in spite of the corrupt of our judicial system. Um, we see uh, uh, laws and bills being enacted. We see elected officials who have the wherewithal to support their constituents. And again, I primarily believe that is because it is we have so many constituents that are awake that these, uh, these um, elected officials can maintain that integrity without fear of reprisal, whether that be uh, losing office, right, po political reprisal, or possibly even more, uh, you know, uh, possibly even more. Uh, some some have been uh, said to have even been endangered, family and life, you know. Uh, but in that regard, too, I think it's rather interesting to note that a lot of the elected officials who are actually doing their job as a representative spokesperson for their voting base in their hometown, in their city, in their precinct, etc., is that uh, a lot of them are freshmen representatives. I'm thinking of people like, uh, you know, Senator Rogers. I'm thinking of people like um, um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and we'll talk about her as well. And even Mary Miller out of Illinois, who's also, uh, she's actually one of those who've been um, endorsed by President Trump. And we'll talk about that later. So isn't that interesting, ladies and gentlemen? You know, we were all once freshmen, uh, but it, it seems like these are the ones that are turning that tide and they are maintaining their oath of office and doing their job right. And again, that is also to the credit of the people of their districts, their precincts, their, uh, their states, their hometown, because they're not letting up on them. And uh, that is giving them the ire to continue to fight to restore this republic and to fight for the freedom and to fight for the constitution of these great United States. All right. Dpatriot1776, thank you for gifting the cookie. I appreciate that. And uh, let's see if we got anything else in the chat room before we jump on in. Ooh, you know, we're going to have to take a spin around to Arizona again. I haven't reported on Arizona in a bit, uh, you know, since uh, all we can say over there, at least I can say over there at this moment is, uh, you know, uh, uh, A.G. Brnovich has gone back into hibernation, it seems. And uh, yeah. Well, 
<laughs> and indeed, many prayers for everyone planning on being at the rally in Arizona. You know, I've been often paranoid and I try not to be uh, because, you know, I particularly believe uh, it's false flag season. I know I say that a lot. I'm not trying to be a fear monger, but prayers indeed for safety over what is going on. And, uh, you know, as uh, I'm just thankful to God that uh, nothing has happened And I pray that nothing will, except for a peaceful rally with a great uh, release of information and uh, a lot of pep and pump uh, to continue to preserve and fight for our rights, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I think we are good in that. Derailing, good evening. Welcome into the chat. Thank you for gifting the cookie. And uh, who's this? Turd Ferguson. Well, howdy, Turd Ferguson. It's the first time I've seen you in the chat room. Welcome in. Appreciate you joining us. Get yourself, pull up a seat, get nice and comfy. Always in Texas. Yeah, yeah. All right. Welcome in and joy for Trump. Joy for Trump. It's good to see you, friend. Welcome back. Awesomeness. Okay. All right. And then we got a, uh, oh, Patriot just posted the Rogan Malone interview, a link for that. Uh, awesome. And it's, uh, it's, it's on the podcast version of it too. So if you can't watch the interview or if you can't find it because it was scrubbed off YouTube, although there are still, uh, it is still posted in some, uh, some areas, got an interesting article about that actually, as we go into tonight. Uh, but yeah, take a listen guys, take a listen. WC Cranop, welcome in, sir. Thank you for gifting the can and a message Aurelius says, hi, needs beauty sleep early awake up call at 2 a.m. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I was actually just thinking about Aurelius Locke today and I was like, uh, hmm, should I text the man and <laughs> see where he's at? He's probably going to be like, uh, uh, why are you stalking me, Mr. C? No, just kidding. <laughs> thank you for that message, uh, Mr. Uh, Cranop. I appreciate you there. And uh, yeah, Depatriot1776 says, I can't imagine how many normies got curious after that podcast. And, you know, a lot of I've seen a lot of things to the effect that Joe Rogan is waking up. I kind of feel like he's been awake, uh, but he's just a very smart man. Um, Yeah, I kept on trying to figure out why I remembered who this guy was. And then I realized that he used to be on Fear Factor, right? Uh, And then, of course, you know, he has he has a very, very he has a vast history, you know, in the public eye. And, uh, you know, on top of what being like a was he a martial arts master or something like that? I don't know all of his history. I just know the man has made his rounds. Um, But but interesting enough, uh, considering um, considering some of his social circle, uh, a lot of people in his social circle, if you know any of them, or if you're familiar with them there, a lot of them are awake. Uh, so I think, I think he just plays a very, uh, tactful hand and I think he's very smart about that too. But yes, when you consider the size of his audience and, uh, the makeup of his audience, uh, the demographic, whatever you want to call it, uh, how many of those were patriots uh, because, or, you know, conservatives or people who are awake or America first people or, you know, individuals who believe in, you know, freedoms and rights and stuff like that. Um, And how many of them were just like you say, normies uh, that are now kind of like, what, why would they censor a Joe Rogan interview? But again, I didn't see the Dr. Peter McCullough interview, uh, which I need to go back and look at. And that one was also scrubbed off YouTube. Uh, but the Dr. Malone interview, guys, um, it, it is very damning, uh, I think, uh, when we consider 
Dr. Malone's background, you know, as the creator of the mRNA technology that they're utilizing through, you know, Pfizer and Moderna and stuff like that. And then uh, put that uh, put that hand in hand uh, with what it seems like uh, the world governments are doing. And and of course, it seems like that to people who are half asleep um, or worse. But uh, to all of us who have been paying attention, it's it's obvious uh, what's going on here. And uh, it kind of reminds me of that. Um, there was a clip that came out. I think from the chairperson or the the head of the WHO 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 I guess accidentally said um that some of the world governments were using the vaccines to kill children. Did you guys happen to see that? Like it was a short clip and uh I failed to remember if he corrected himself, but uh he said some governments are using the vaccine to kill children, which is not the right thing to do, right? And I was like, what? I'm going to have to find that clip. Otherwise, anyone who stumbles on this podcast is going to say I'm a conspiracy theorist. Uh, but yeah, uh, that would definitely be something to pay attention to. I highly recommend it. Thank you again for popping that link into the chat for everyone to check out in case they hadn't. Depatriate, I appreciate that again. Sean Joe, good evening. Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie. And uh, he says, I believe he canceled 1-6 because Senator Isaacson's funeral is the same day. Ah, I'm unaware of a Senator Isaacson. Um, I'll have to pop that up and uh, see what that is all about. And you know what? You know, God bless the respect that he's paying for that. Uh, for the senator. The only the only uh, the only one I was aware of was Henry Reid. Harry Reid, sorry, Henry Reid, Harry Reid of Nevada, guys, uh, and and apparently, uh, Harry Reid will be lying in state at the uh, rotunda um, as he passed away. What I think last week or so. Now that's another thing, guys. Like we got uh, we got people pass, we got people dropping like flies. Uh, we got people who are not uh, going up for re-election. You know. Um, I'm very interested to know uh, if if all of the timing of these events isn't coincided with uh, something uh, going on behind the scenes. But again, don't want to speculate. Don't want to be. Uh, don't want to wear my uh, tinfoil crown tonight. So we'll go ahead and uh, forego that. But I am interested to know if Harry Reid's uh, flag will be wrinkled or not as he lies in state. Uh, in honor of his service to this country, if you want to call it that, right? All right. Thank you for that tidbit of information, Sean Joe. Much appreciated. Uh, two in the pink. Good evening, sir. Thank you so much for gifting the can. Great to have you with us. And Persnick, thank you for gifting the phone. Pretty new here, but really appreciate your show and such a gentleman. Appreciate you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Persnick, uh, for the phone and also for the kind words. Uh, we just do our thing here, ladies and gentlemen, at the Sea Report, and uh, we try and do it well. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see here. There's a new clip of Sanjay Gupta saying death shot. Ooh, is he referring to, uh, yeah, is he referring to the vaccine as death shot? And that's another thing I'm noticing in some of the headlines. Uh, there's there's a less, there's more criticism or at least a subtle critique of, you know, the Biden administration 
Kamala Harris. Uh, there's pushback and there's, uh, you know, different viewpoints coming out on the COVID-19 situation and on the vaccine situation. Um, in some instances, uh, I know it's been reported, I know it's been said that it kind of seems like uh, they're changing their talking points for that. And again, referring that to, uh, referring that to, um, I guess, the midterms, right? And, and that being a possibility of why they're changing their tune on certain things, or at least they're relenting in some regards to that. Now, try and get my, micro, my microphone materialized out of nowhere, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's see here. Isaacson left the Senate and that lady from Georgia took his place. Good to know, Sean Joke. And I'll probably, uh, I'll probably still uh, look that up and stuff. So Sean Joe says, uh, killing the kids, it was a slip of the tongue. It was a Freudian flip, perhaps, right? Perhaps he didn't mean to say that they've organized the greatest, most diverse uh, uh, gang of uh, election thieves that have ever come out, right? <laughs> Uh, he was using it to promote the jab. That's fun. All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, we will uh, be doing it live here for the next uh, hour and a half or so. And uh, let's see. Tonight's uh, episode, our stories are brought to you all by uh, The Atlantic. Ooh, hoo, hoo, really? The Atlantic? What is up with that? Newsweek, Gar The Guardian, Deutsch Wells Broadcasting, The Hill, The Federalist, Breitbart, Fox News, The Gateway Pundit, KUOW News, The Associated Press, and The Daily Wire. I don't make this stuff up myself, ladies and gentlemen, but that is who we will be using as references for our stories today. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as it is in usual fashion for the Sea Report, President Trump leads here, so we'll start with his statements. Let's see what we got coming up first. And uh, statement number one, joining us uh, from January 3rd, that is yesterday. Oh, we're going to get straight into Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. President Trump says Twitter is a disgrace to our democracy. They shouldn't be allowed to do business in this country. Marjorie Taylor Greene has a huge constituency of honest, patriotic, hardworking people. They don't deserve what's happened to them on places like low-life Twitter and Facebook. Everybody should drop off of Twitter and Facebook. They're boring, have only a radical left point of view, and are hated by everyone. They are a disgrace to our nation. Keep fighting Marjorie. All right. Yeah, What? that is a great, great way to uh, uh, get into to tonight's show as well as uh, a start off the show with a statement from President Trump. Now, uh, again, we uh, most of my audience here, uh, the feeling is more than mutual in regards to what President Trump is saying. Um, I think we're just, uh, uh, is this is this Twitter, uh, you know, uh, acting like a, uh, you know, a, a, a caged or cornered wild animal? Uh, or are they just, you know, continuing to do what they do? Uh, with disregard for uh, whatever type of image they're giving off to themselves. Again, you know, uh, people start to see this. Now, when you're talking about those who are asleep, when you're talking about the left, when you're talking about Democrats kind of in general, they could give a hoot about Marjorie Taylor Greene if they even know who she is. And if they do, it's usually just because they've got to badmouth her or they're, you know, uh, parroting talking points that they hear on the regular from any of their uh, their dying broadcasting systems that they normally get their talking points from. Uh, but yes, uh, it seems that uh, the latest victim of Twitter 
uh, just after Dr. Malone, right, is indeed Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, her, uh, her account was uh, suspended indefinitely. Now, it's actually still active, okay? Now, when I say active, I mean it's still present on Twitter. And I know because I went and I looked it up, right? But, but, ladies and gentlemen, one thing I did notice is that uh, any of the tweets or posts that she had put out after Christmas have all been deleted, okay? Uh, and I know this because you know, I do follow her on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about the entire getting off Twitter thing. And I, I you know, I opened up a C-Report account on there recently. Uh, and because on Twitter, I don't really do so much for the engagement and, and the dissemination of uh, information as I do just like uh, kind of, I don't know, harassing. <laughs> I like to, I like to, I like to at harass, you know, the, the left and the celebrities and, and stuff like that. And I just, I just always like, kind of like, you know, tag them along to all of my statements. It's fun for me to do that, but uh, I still don't get on there that much, but this isn't about me. This is about Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, you know, and so her account's still there, but her posts after December 24th are gone. And uh, I think it will be, uh, it, it's interesting, okay, because according to, uh, according to one of the things I read, it said that uh, Twitter permanently suspended Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene's personal account for alleged repeated violations of its rules regarding COVID-19 misinformation. Um, now, that's not the way that I understood it. Now, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene, or uh, MTG, as she's uh, affectionately referred to, um, of course, she says her word, she says her piece, and her tr and she speaks power to truth um, about the uh, genuinely manufactured COVID-19 and about the overreaching tyrannical uh, mandates of the vaccines and stuff like that. But um, an interesting note would be that uh, the last post that she had on there really uh was not about COVID-19, at least not specifically. Now, as I said, all her tweets after December 24th have been removed. However, I was able to, uh, I was able to find the post that uh, I believe, and it is believed in some circles, actually got her knocked off Twitter. And uh, that would be this post. Let me get that on the screen. Let's go ahead and enlarge that. Now, again, this post is not on Twitter anymore, uh, but it reads uh, Real Marjorie Taylor Greene at Dan Crenshaw, Texas. She says, Dan Crenshaw, Texas is posting creepy stalking pictures of me and harassing me to co-sponsor his big tech bill that he says stops censorship. But his bill actually gives more protection to online porn companies. No thanks, Dan. We need to get rid of porn. I am busy reading other Republicans' stop big tech censorship bills as well as looking into other ways to stop the enemies embedded in big tech companies. Gosh, and to think all this started when I just disagreed with him when he said FEMA should be doing mass COVID testing and working in hospitals. All I said was, no, we don't want FEMA doing any of that and hospitals need to hire back unvaccinated uh, HCW. 
healthcare workers, I'm guessing is what that means. Then poof, I'm kicked off Twitter. Did I offend Dan's globalist friends at the World Economic Forum that are... Mm. So that's interesting. And then uh, it was followed up with this. Also posted. Okay. And she probably actually ended up posting this on one of her other socials. Like maybe, I don't know, if she's on Getter or if she's on Gab. I'm sure she is. Or or maybe even on, on Instagram. Uh, I don't think I saw this though on Instagram. So... Uh, she posted this image also. Again, there you go. There's a Texas rhino. And, you know, he's probably a lot worse than a rhino. He's, he's worse than a Republican in name only. He is, in my view, a bona fide progressive communist. Uh, and by association with the World Economic Forum, most likely a transhumanist. Uh, let's see what kind of electronic eyeball he has underneath that eye patch. But here he is side by side with uh, Peter Buttigieg or Buttgeiger. Um, and of course, these two, uh, they were part of the World Economic Forum, the Forum of Young Global Leaders. Of course, we also have the likes of, uh, of um, uh, what, is, what is the name of that Hawaiian representative out there? Um, I, uh, I, was it Tulsi? Tulsi Gabbard? She as well, guys, is also involved with this and comes out of this, right? Shaping the future I think, uh, I think, though, that Tulsi has uh, exercised more restraint than Dan Crenshaw when it comes to showing their true colors. And um, maybe that maybe it's some of that uh, maybe it's some of that, uh, uh, you know, soldier in him that uh, causes him to be so um, um, devoutly uh, obvious about where he stands. I mean, this guy's for red gun flag laws. This guy wants FEMA, you know, uh, probably, uh, shooting up everyone with, uh, these dangerous, uh, untested vaccines and MRNA gene co- gene therapy cocktails. Uh, you know, he apparently wants to protect pornography, uh, according to his big tech bill. That's, so that's where she says, uh, you know, Dan Crenshaw's posting creepy stalking pictures of me, etc. And goes on to talk about his porn online. Now, uh, so so now the rumor is, of course, that uh, uh, because of that um, post, that is uh, that is what got her knocked off. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I would. I mean, it's not that I. I just would not disagree with that idea. Okay, I do not disagree with that idea. Uh, that uh, Dan Crenshaw had his tech cronies over at uh, World Economic Forum uh, pull it. I mean, something like that has happened to me as well, guys, when uh, when I've made comments about uh, uh, specifically the Lincoln Project uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, tagged them in something and bam, it's gone. And, and all I said is uh, something about them, you know, uh, you know, grooming children and uh, young men uh, to, to join their forces, etc., uh, but so that's kind of, uh, the word on that, at least I would suspect that there's some truth to it because, uh, she was, uh, summarily, uh, banned, uh, permanently from, uh, from Twitter and, and followed by Facebook, uh, I believe for those statements, I think, I believe under the cover of these, uh, COVID-19, uh, false statements and misinformation that she puts out there. So uh, very interesting on that front, as far as we're talking about uh, the Twitter removal. And again, a disgrace, Uh, you know, communist uh, spelling America with a K Twitter is whenever we're talking about uh, whenever we're talking about their censorship, you know. And so 
I, I personally see Twitter going the route of MySpace. I see Facebook going that way. Um, I think people are just so used to it at this point uh, that's, and, and they don't know of any other places to go. But again, uh, whatever the platform is, whatever the alternative is, it's going to be better than what we're seeing on Twitter and on Facebook. And it would be, it would be something just to have a mass exodus off of that. And I think, uh, I think that's maybe something that President Trump was trying to push in a statement when he's talking about uh, everyone just leading, you know, just leading Twitter, just leaving Facebook, uh, turn them into the graveyard that they uh, pretend they're portraying themselves to be. And that is where uh, free speech goes to die. And only the ghoulies and the zombies, uh, and uh, zombies, right? Very appropriate. Uh, Continue to hang out and, uh, you know, uh, just uh, talk to each other as if though everything that they knew and know is the only way that this world should go. So yeah, and then also in line with that, guys, as we were talking about um, uh, the Dr. Malone interview, as well as mentioning the Peter McCullough interview on Joe Rogan, uh, we see that uh, you know Marley, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene and now Dr. Malone has also been uh, permanently banned off of Twitter. Now, in the uh, Malone-Rogan interview, you know, Dr. Malone uh, talked about how, um, you know, uh, this censorship is coming and people see it. Uh, and that's that's kind of the angle I was going with as well, is that, uh, you know, the pe- the big tech people who live in their their silicon bubble right over there, uh, they think that they can do and act as they please because, of course, they say they have the protections, but they're not even contemplating the fact that. There are millions of people who are now watching about what's going on here, okay? And uh, when you have someone as esteemed as Dr. Malone, again, who is the creator of mRNA technologies, which are being utilized for these uh, gene cocktail therapy sessions and serums that they're giving to people for this uh, genuinely manufactured disease called COVID-19, um, they fail to they fail to acknowledge or recognize the fact that uh, people are watching, People are watching, and though they think they have the protection of the government, right, and any any uh, law or mandate or whatever it is, um, there are thousands of doctors, thousands of scientists, right? You cannot buck reality with opinion or desire when, uh, you know, the the methods that are tried and true in both you know, the field of medicine and and the field of science prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a, there is much room for doubt about the vaccines. There's much room for doubt about the origins of COVID-19. And then of course you couple that with the digging, the information, the investigation, um, you know, the calls for Freedom of Information Act requests that show exactly the paper trail of where you know, this, uh, this genuinely manufactured disease originated, uh, how can they keep living in this uh, superfluous la-la land, right, um, uh, that says that uh, they are right and everyone will believe them? They are so out of touch, ladies and gentlemen, that they do not even see that everyone is looking at them in the fishbowl and they're watching them. And so to that point, I'll just say it one last time. Uh, 
the bad guys are on the world stage and the spotlight is on them and we are all watching them. Everyone is watching them do what they do and how they do it. And, uh, well, enjoy the show, folks. Take notes because uh, it ain't going to happen again. But uh, it does help that we are able to see and that we are able to, uh, we are able to uh, pick apart, we're able to dissect what they've been doing because, um, well, uh, they're in the spotlight. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, now, in regards to uh, uh, Twitter banning the Dr. Malone, uh, Dr. Malone himself, we also saw that um, the interview was scrubbed uh, on the likes of YouTube, Facebook. The uh, Peter McCullough interview was scrubbed as well. Now, just so y'all know what was going on in the Peter McCullough interview, uh, Peter McCullough uh, is a doctor. Um, He's an American cardiologist. He was vice chief of internal medicine at Baylor University Medical Center and a professor at Texas A&M University, editor-in-chief of the journals, reviews in cardiovascular medicine and uh, cardiorenal medicine. And he is one of the most highly respected and published cardiologists in the United States. Now, in his interview with Joe Rogan, Dr. McCullough reveals that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic was planned and orchestrated to kill people, okay? So, uh, he, uh, uh, I haven't heard it, but uh, according to this information, it was a much stronger interview on that note than what we were seeing from Dr. Malone. Um, who, who led on to that is where this is going, you know? Talking about also the censorship, the self-censorship that they've suffered, all of that stuff. Um, But also in the McCullough interview, the planners, they said, suppressed safe and effective remedies in order to push mass vaccinations as the only viable remedy. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we know that to be true when we go back to as early as hydroxychloroquine, all the way up to ivermectin and all the way up to the other um, homemade remedies that uh, individuals have been able to use uh, to stave off this genuinely manufactured flu bug that uh, has been uh, has been dressed up as a deadly pandemic. And then, of course, uh, everything else that goes with that, the politics associated with it, uh, the money that is associated with it. Um, it's, it's all got to come crashing down on them soon. And, uh, you know, uh, aside from that, guys, uh, mass exodus time, right? Mass exodus time. And uh, we'll see what happens in that regard. Uh, People are also leaving uh, YouTube as well. Uh, Rand Paul would be another example of that. Uh, He heading over to Rumble. So just totally abandoning any of these old operating systems that were established for control of opinion, viewpoint, and conversation. I don't know, guys. What do you say? Should we all do it right now? Let's all head over to our accounts and push the delete button. (laughs) And see how that works. You know, that'd be fun, guys. That would be fun. Okay, y'all. Let's go on to our... Oh, look at... I have to share this with you guys as well. Okay, so uh, before we jump into the next statement, this is a brand new article out of the Daily Wire that is talking about the conversation between Joe Rogan and Dr. Malone. So I found this one was rather interesting. This one is also kind of breaking as well. It uh, came out today, this headline. And uh, let's check it out, guys. So uh, talk about uh, Twitter's going to censor you. Well, just think, think about, uh, think about um, Kofefe, guys. Kofefe. Don't forget what Kofefe was, guys. It's not a coffee. It is actually a bill 
the Kofefe bill was passed so that uh, it updated the uh, presidential record so that even uh, electronic social media um, um, posts and, and uh, things that were shared by the president would be submitted to the presidential record forever. Okay, that's what Kofefe was, the little known fact that uh, seems to have escaped a lot of people. Now, this is not about Kofefe because obviously Joe Rogan is not the president, right? But it's kind of the same idea. Um, we have a congressman who submitted the transcripts of the Joe Rogan interview to the national record. So let's check out what this uh, interview has, to, I mean, what this article has to say real quick. And then we'll jump into the next, uh, the next statement from President Trump. GOP representative submits Joe Rogan's controversial episode to the congressional records so that big tech cannot censor it. That's pretty cool, guys. It says, uh, Texas Republican Representative Troy Nell submitted Joe Rogan's controversial podcast with Dr. Robert Malone to the congressional record on Monday after it had been removed on YouTube, saying the move will keep it from being censored. Uh, he says, today I submitted the transcript from the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, episode 1757, with Dr. Robert Malone to the congressional records. Uh, uh, Dr. Nell's, uh, well, Nell's is actually also a medical doctor, it says here, and that was a tweet that he said, it says, big tech wants to restrict your access to this information, but they cannot censor the congressional record, he added. So that's why I say it kind of reminds me of Kofefe. It keeps it out of the reach, you know, of, uh, of the censors and uh, those who wish to silence, um, um, you know, uh, individuals, silence free speech. Okay. Uh, it says uh, Nels also posted the uh, full episode transcript to his own congressional website. So he has, uh, there's a link there. So that's uh, Congre Congressman Troy Nels of Texas. All right. Didn't know that man's name, but I do now. Uh, he says, by deplatforming Dr. Malone for voicing opposition and removing the interview, Twitter and YouTube are once again proving that they don't work for their users, but for big pharma, big media and the elites, Nels said in a statement. When we stray away from our core principles of freedom of speech, freedom of expression and freedom of debate, democracy is lost. Today, I enter the transcript again of the Joe Rogan Experience 1757 into the congressional record to preserve the podcast forever. Big tech may be able to censor information on their own platforms, but they cannot censor the congressional record. So uh, here, here for uh, Representative Nels, ladies and gentlemen, the article concludes his statement also referred to Malone as a widely published mRNA vaccine expert who went on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast to raise concerns over the COVID-19 vaccine. YouTube reportedly removed a clip of Rogan's podcast with Malone that was posted Friday. Uh, this video has been removed for violating YouTube community guidelines, now shows where the episode was previously posted. During the interview, Malone, who claims to be part of a, a collaboration that reportedly created the mRNA technology widely used in the COVID-19 vaccines, talked about vaccines, mandates, amongst other pandemic-related topics, the post-millennial reported, Rogan invited Malone onto his podcast after, after the doctor was banned from Twitter last week over the information he shared regarding the coronavirus. On Sunday, Rogan invited followers on Twitter to join him as he makes the move to the free speech platform, Getter. Join me on Getter, he tweeted. Okay, so there goes that, guys. And it finishes with uh, Joe Rogan's statement. In case, uh, in case uh, shit over at Twitter gets uh, even dumber, I'm here now as well. Rejoice. Okay. So yeah, like I say, you know, I, I was never, uh, I mean, I've never 
heard a full episode of Joe Rogan's experience until uh, the Malone interview. Uh, but I do know that this man, uh, very, very popular. He's also a very funny comedian as well. But uh, very interesting, guys. And, um, well, there you have it. So uh, we got people doing what we got to do uh, to get things done. I guess, to kind of speak in a circle. Uh, but let me see here before we get uh, on to... The C-Report is 100% listener-supported. If you enjoy the broadcasting that we bring to you with The C-Report and other shows on this podcasting platform, we ask that listeners lend their support, become a monthly donor... When you go to anchor.fm slash the C report slash support or click on the support button over there at the anchor.fm slash the C report website, where you can help sustain future episodes of the C report and other broadcasting on this podcast station. Every bit helps, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your support. So we have uh, Mary Miller next. She is the uh, the next Trump and Dorsey, the first Trump and Dorsey for tonight. And uh, let's see what uh, President Trump had to say about Mary Miller in his statement. This was actually released on January 1st, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, a first endorsement of the year, perhaps. Uh, it says here, Congresswoman Mary Miller is doing a fantastic job representing the people of Illinois. Strong on election security, the Second Amendment, and our military and vets, Mary is a champion of our America First agenda. She fights hard against Joe Biden's open borders, runaway inflation, and the radical indoctrination of children. Mary has my complete and total endorsement. Uh, good good afternoon. Good evening, Mr. Uh, DJ Ping254. Sorry, over there at Twitch. Thanks for joining us on that platform. Now into uh, Mary Miller, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, first of all, I think it's wonderful that we have someone that President Trump is endorsing out of Illinois, right? Uh, that state, you know, is probably as blue as the left coast and the west coast in regards to uh, their politics out there. Um, but, um, yeah, I was, I didn't, I was not familiar with Mary Miller. Now come to find out, uh, Mary Miller is a freshman congressman. Okay. So that again goes to the point of, uh, you know, a lot of what's being done right for America, the Republic and the people of this country, it's being done by freshmen guys. And it's being done by those America first candidates, those who uh, supported president Trump, those who acknowledged and recognized, uh, what he was doing, but also were not career politicians. Uh, and and you take that point over with the point that uh, the hunt is on, not just for rhinos, but for America First candidates and people, individuals who want to represent their constituents and truly be the voice of their constituents and not just play politics and, uh, you know, a self-engrandment and self-enrichment at the expense of the American taxpayer and at the cost of our freedoms and liberties, ladies and gentlemen. So Mary Miller, freshman congresswoman, of course, in the uh, in the headlines, in the mainstream, lamestream, fake news media, uh, she's being touted as a QAnon crackpot. 
right? Um, um, and, and, you know, she did, uh, she, she was one of those representatives that stood her ground and objected to the electoral college results during the 2020 um, um, theft of our election, the 2020 insurrection, right? Insurrection by vote or fake vote by sham fake ba- ballot, right? Uh, so that is, that is, uh, something to her, uh, to, to, you know, to, to applaud her for, right? Uh, I think that's also, uh, like a good litmus test when we see exactly, uh, how these representatives, uh, voted for and or moved, uh, in regard to what was happening in 2020. And also a good litmus test is how they feel about, um, election audits, you know? Uh, furthermore, uh, the auditing uh, and, the, and the decertification of the 2020 election, as we move more in that direction, as time advances on this crazy timeline that we are currently in. Now, another thing that Mary Miller is actively being attacked for, and this is what they will recall, right? This is what the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media wants you to remember, when you think about Mary Miller, is that uh, Mary Miller actually quoted, okay, she actually quoted Hitler, okay, uh, during uh, the January 6th false flag riot. So she was there at, uh, on, on the Capitol grounds uh, that day, and um, uh, during a speech that she was giving to, uh, I think it was Women for Trump, possibly, uh, she told the crowd, at the United States Capitol, that Hitler was right on one thing. He said, whoever has the youth has the future. And uh, she concluded that statement with, our children are being propagandized. Okay. So admittedly, at least on my part, I would say there might have been a better way to phrase that. And the only reason why I say that is because sound bites, ladies and gentlemen, cherry picking, ladies and gentlemen, um, we all know the lamestream fake news media will cherry pick any sound bite or anything uh, that will help their point push across that finish line. And uh, they are grilling Mary Miller over that even to this day. Now, of course, Mary Miller did apologize. Now, like I said, there might have been a better way to state that or to phrase that statement. But again, context is key here. And context is something that is totally ignored by enemies of the state and enemies of America. Now, the Guardian reports in regards to her apology, it said that uh, in her apology, Mary Miller said she was passionately pro-Israel and a strong advocate and ally of the Jewish community. She also said her reference to one of the most evil dictators in history was meant to illustrate the dangers that outside influences can have on our youth. Um, Moms for America, that is the group she was speaking with, said Miller's words were being taken out of context and used as a weapon against her and urged people to listen to her whole speech, right? And no one has time to listen to an entire speech. All they want to hear is that, uh, you know, President Trump said all Mexicans are rapists and criminals and uh, the scum of the earth, right? Never mind the context or the entire conversation that was being had. And so, uh, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, going back over those headlines from back in that day, because, this again, this this statement came... 
on January 6th. And then she was, uh, she was, uh, she was, um, uh, she was uh, actually brought into Congress, right? Uh, <laughs> um, within that month. And people were already calling for her to resign, right? After she'd, uh, she'd uh, been brought in and uh, officially, I should say. So, uh, well, there's that, guys. Now, Mary Miller, uh, as a freshman congressman, uh, receiving the endorsement of President Trump, she's actually going toe-to-toe She's running against an incumbent, um, and that is a man by the name of Miller Davis, uh, who is also a Republican. So, you know, I was like, well, who's this Miller Davis, um, and, and how bad of a job has he done that uh, President Trump is uh, endorsing, uh, you know, someone against him? This is, uh, you know, a, a Republican, guys, right? A, a rhino, perhaps? Um, so uh, this, this guy here, Rodney Davis... Uh, pictured on the screen uh, next to uh, Mary Miller. Uh, he has been in office since 2013, okay? So I wanted to do a little bit of digging on him just to kind of see uh, exactly what this guy was all about. And uh, let it be said that you can always depend on the enemy publications to give you information about some of these individuals. So uh, this uh, this uh, you know, progressive lefty website called Republican Accountability Project uh, kind of uh, made some points I thought were worth noting. Uh, let's see how they scored him, right? And then we'll uh, we'll we'll compare that to uh, the way that we score these uh, individuals in office. Keeping in mind this is a Republican, right? So uh, they gave him a good grade because he did not sign the Texas Amicus brief. Now that is of course having to do with uh, you know uh, the entire. Um, the uh, the lawsuit that was filed against uh, the federal government uh, in accordance with um, in accordance with what was going on with the uh, 2020 election. So they were good about that on his part. Right. So that's a bad for us. Um, he affirmed the certification of all states in the Electoral College votes. OK, again, Mary Miller did not affirm that certification. However, this guy did. All right. So again, a litmus test of, of sorts when we're talking about uh, where they stand and whether or not they have either the gall, the balls to uh, stand up against what they know is wrong. Or is this a sign that he could be bought out? Is this a sign that he could be compromised? Because he went along with it. Um, they gave him a bad grade on making no public statements about the election or he was evasive about it. So, yes, he has talked about, uh, you know, the 2020s possibly being, you know, fraudulent. But at the same time, he affirmed the certification of the Electoral College. Uh, they gave him a bad grade because he voted against impeachment or conviction of Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection. Well, the rhino can't be that obvious, right? Uh, if he's going to be a rhino, if he's going to be a Republican in name only, he's got to have something that he could stand, uh, stand his ground on as a supposed Republican or conservative. Uh, they gave him a good grade on voting to create an independent commission to investigate the January 6th attack, the false flag attack. Well, I mean, what else can be said about that? He's going to go join Cheney and, and Kinsinger and all that stuff. And they gave him a bad grade because he voted against holding Steve Bannon in contempt of Congress. Well, you can't get everything that you want, loony, crazy, lefty, uh, progressive outlet. 
So, well, there you have it on that regard as far as he is uh, concerned. Now, um, this Miller dude, I mean, this Davis guy, uh, he was also actually featured in an article by The Atlantic, okay? And it wasn't a bad article. And that says something, guys. When we're talking about the enemy publications, when we're talking about the enemy media, as a conservative or Republican or an America first individual, would you really want a featurette in, an, in a magazine like The Atlantic? Okay. Now, we're not going to read the article, uh, but just so that you can see it's here. Basically, uh, The Atlantic uh, was doing, did a featurette on him and they, they were not attacking him. But it was because he actually also stands for red flag laws in regards to gun confiscation and gun control. So on a Second Amendment issue, uh, this uh, this Davis representative, absolutely uh, rhino in name only. I mean, a Republican in name only, uh, truly a rhino, right? Uh, the article talks about how he was present during uh, the uh, uh, the shooting that occurred. Uh, that occurred uh, during the uh, the Republican baseball game, right? Where Scalise was shot and stuff. So he was there. He was actually up to bat when the bullets went off. And because of that, this man feels that uh, we should have... Uh, the, the judges should have the ability to confiscate firearms from anyone that they determine could pose a risk of violence. Of course, that's a big no-no when we're talking about gun rights, right? And we're talking about Second Amendment rights. We can't be doing, we can't be cherry picking and leaving it up to a corrupt judiciary to decide whether or not uh, you're out of your mind or, you know, you're suicidal or what have you. I mean, come on. So uh, just like Dan Crenshaw, you know, we see that this Davis guy, um, Rodney Davis by full name, also supports uh, some methods of gun confiscation and, uh, and, and infringing on our Second Amendment rights. So again, when you got some, you got a rag like the Atlantic doing a featurette on you and how brave you are for standing up for gun confiscation in some term, uh, it doesn't look good for you. I mean, if we remember, guys, the Atlantic is uh, majorly owned by uh, a Lorene Powell Jobs, the widow of Steve Jobs. And uh, and her uh, her outfit, the Emerson Collective, and they are a progressive, you know, totally progressive and left leaning organization who fund the likes of uh, the Obamas and Kamala Harris and the Bidens. Uh, so that doesn't look too good for your track record, does it, Representative Davis? Uh, let's hope that uh, that endorsement for Mary Miller pushes him out of the game, ladies and gentlemen. And we get uh, we get proper representation in Illinois. And I'm just glad I'm just glad that they have uh, someone out of Illinois that they can endorse, um, because, again, Illinois is a pretty uh, blue state, at least historically speaking, and at least uh, in terms of uh, fraudulent elections. Right. No telling how long that's been going up out there in the state of Illinois. All right, that takes us to our next statement from President Trump. Another endorsement. Real quick, I want to welcome you all in again to uh, the Sea Report this evening. Thanks for joining us. Looks like you guys are having a fantabulous time over in the chat rooms or whatever platforms you're joining us on as we are live right now on this Tuesday evening, January 4th. Uh, Tombstone, welcome on in to the chat rooms. I see you there. And good to see you again, friend. And then uh, real quick, uh, let's see here. I wanted to uh, thank uh, 
Mez. Welcome, Mez. I haven't seen your name in the chat rooms. Uh, thank you for gifting the cookie over at uh, the Foxhole and Pilled. This year, uh, be on the lookout for the doors of opportunity God puts before you. Yes! Something tells me, Mez, that those doors are wide open, right? It's just up to us to get across that threshold. And I think 123SKG, good evening, friend. And I think I saw you also donating a gold pill. If you, don't, if you donated anything prior to 8, 11 p.m., I apologize if I missed it. You've slipped off my screen. The last message I have there is from Skeeter Burke saying Dan Crenshaw is asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and you know, Dan, Dan Crenshaw, uh, leave it up to a person like that. What does that say about one's character? He went off on Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think he called her an idiot or a Democrat. Oh, he waits until she's banned off Twitter to say something like that. What, what kind of an individual, what kind of a human, what kind of a, a man is that, right? Take, takes a lot of balls, right, to talk to someone who can't talk back to you, right, Dan Crenshaw? Anyways, who is this man on the screen that's been sitting here so patiently waiting for his endorsement to be acknowledged by Mr. C? That would be one Derek Schmidt, ladies and gentlemen. And Derek Schmidt was also endorsed by President Trump. Now, Derek Schmidt, for those of you who do not know, he is the attorney general of uh, Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see here. Oh, Kansas. My bad. Sorry, Derek. Sorry, Kansas. The Attorney General of Kansas, Derek Schmidt, receiving an endorsement. And it seems that Derek Schmidt is now running for the governorship of Kansas. So, uh, well, let's see what uh, President Trump had to say about one Derek Schmidt. Uh, President Trump said, Derek Schmidt, the Attorney General of the great state of Kansas, has done an absolutely outstanding job. He is now running for governor and will be a popular and very wise choice. Derek is strong on crime, the borders, and our always under siege Second Amendment. He loves our military and our vets. Derek Schmidt has my complete and total endorsement. So that is a, it's heartwarming to see an endorsement coming for a state's attorney general when uh, it seems like most of them are corrupt or they come out of some progressive or lefty, uh, you know, arrangement. Whether that be by George Soros or whether that be working for Perkins Coy. Yeah, you know, Perkins Coy. Um, as we learned about, uh, was it the, uh, AG of w Wisconsin, right? Uh, so we have Derek Schmidt receiving accolades now. Uh, let's see here. Derek Schmidt has actually been, uh, very active. He's been very active at fighting against the, uh, federal overreach brought on by these, uh, COVID-19 vaccine, supposed vaccine mandates, right? So that's, that's actually, I think, been probably one of his stronger points. If we, uh, hop on over to the attorney general website for Kansas, that's Derek Schmidt's website, uh, we see, uh, in one of his recent news releases, dated January 3rd, again, just yesterday, uh, talks a bit about uh, where Schmidt has been fighting uh, Biden's um, overreaching mandates for the vaccine. Uh, so let's pop that up and uh, see what that has to say. And uh, again, that's just uh, to the acknowledgement of some of the work 
that this attorney general has done or is doing, who is now running for governor of Kansas, who has now received an endorsement from President Trump. It says here in this press release, it says a federal judge this past week temporary weekend temporarily prohibited the Biden administration from enforcing its new vaccine and mask mandate for Head Start preschool programs in Kansas. Attorney General Derek Schmidt said it says Schmidt last month filed a federal lawsuit challenging the legality of this new federal mandate. And on Saturday, a federal judge in Louisiana granted his request for a temporary injunction prohibiting enforcement of the mandate while its legality is reviewed by the courts. The injunction prohibits enforcement of the mandate, which generally requires Head Start uh, employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19 and requires students age two and older to wear masks in the 24 states that joined in bringing the lawsuit. Enforcement is prohibited in Kansas. Um, Schmidt says this latest attempt by the Biden administration to centrally plan the daily lives of Americans in the name of mitigating COVID-19 is perhaps the most absurd so far. The federal government simply has no legal authority to order two-year-olds to wear masks all day at preschool. The Head Start mandate is the fourth of President Biden's COVID-19 mandates Schmidt has challenged in court, and he has obtained injunctions prohibiting enforcement of each of the four, although one injunction was later overturned by an appellate court and is undergoing further judicial review. The status of the four challenge mandates is as follows. Head Start mandate generally requires staff to be vaccinated and children aged two and older to wear masks. Currently blocked in Kansas by federal court injunction after Schmidt filed suit challenging its legality, the federal government has not stated whether it plans to appeal the injunction. Next would be federal contractor mandate generally requires businesses and entities such as defense contractors and research universities to employ only vaccinated workers currently blocked nationwide by federal court injunction after schmidt challenged its legality the court of appeals denied a stay of the injunction and the federal government has not yet sought further review next one is health care mandate generally requires hospitals nursing homes, and other healthcare facilities that receive Medicare or Medicaid payments to require their employees to be vaccinated. Currently blocked in Kansas by federal court injunction after Schmidt challenged its legality, and that injunction has been affirmed by a federal appellate court, the U.S. Department of Justice has appealed the injunction to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has scheduled oral argument in the case for this coming Friday, January 7th. And finally, private employer mandate generally requires private employee employers that are subject to regulation by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and that have 100 or more employees to require their employees to be vaccinated or undergo regular COVID-19 testing. The mandate is currently scheduled to go into effect after an earlier stay was overturned by an appellate court, but Kansas and other plaintiffs have appealed and asked the United States Supreme Court to reinstate the stay to block the mandate. The high court has scheduled oral argument in the case for this coming Friday, January 7th. 
Schmidt said he expects greater clarity on the rapidly evolving legal status of the Biden administration's mandates after the Supreme Court hears arguments Friday and presumably swiftly rules on the requested temporary injunctions. He said he is optimistic the Supreme Court will favor the injunctions. In my view, Schmidt says, the Biden administration has contorted the law and taken legal shortcuts that shut out public input in order to impose its will on American citizens and businesses. We think these federal mandates are illegal, but merely complaining about them accomplishes nothing. So we're in court standing up for Kansas and fighting back. All right. Good news there, guys. And I say this is a good pick for a governor. But the only thing I would be fretting over is in the wake of Attorney General Derek Schmidt getting elected as governor of Kansas, who is going to replace this hard fighter in the rule of law and in the courtrooms for the people of Kansas and the people of America, right? Ooh, boy, I hope that they certainly have someone just as good and, uh, and with as much tenacity as Derek Schmidt to fill that gap there of attorney general when he gets elected to governor. Um, and, you know, and that's the other thing that, you know, that, that, that statement he made at the end there, that it doesn't do any good just to complain. And that's why we're in court. That statement just fortifies my reasoning about the time period we're in now, where not only do we have enough people awake to push the will of the people, but we have actionable, actionable co- uh, courses of action. Uh, that's totally redundant. I apologize. But we have we have action being taken where it's not just people addressing their grievances to their elected representative, but we or, you know, or, um, you know, uh, protesting or having rallies. We have this going to court. We have litigation. We have laws that are being enacted, uh, regardless of whether or not they're being fought uh, against, you know, um, too little, too late example, the Georgia, you know, um, election law that was passed, right? But it's still happening, okay? Uh, Action is still being taken. So we're at a time period where not only are people awake, but people are actually taking meaningful action, Uh, to fight for our rights and to fight against this tyrannical government that is currently trying to uh, take us all down, basically, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Newsweek also reported in regards to Eric Schmidt that in December of 2020, Schmidt had Kansas join more than a dozen other states in asking the United States Supreme Court to hear a case filed by GOP Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton that called into question the election procedures in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All four were battleground states in the 2020 vote, and all four were won by uh, President-Select Joe Biden, uh, clown-in-chief. Schmidt said in a statement at that time that the lawsuit brought up important and potentially recurring constitutional questions but some said that it was part of an effort to have the election results overturned. So again, now we know where Eric, uh, Derek Schmidt stood in regards to the 2020 election. And he was actually uh, one of the attorneys general uh, that joined Ken Paxton in trying to uh, get the United States Supreme Court to take a further look at what happened. The disenfranchisement of our states and all Americans 
in regard to what happened in the election. So there you go again. I guess you see, uh, I guess it's easy to understand why President Trump has endorsed uh, Derek Schmidt in his efforts to uh, become the governor of Kansas. And that is all coming up, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Next statement from President Trump comes to us. It's not an endorsement, but uh, it is a... it is a, a statement, a short, a brief one, nonetheless. Let me get myself off the screen there. It says, uh, anyone want to run for Congress against Don Bacon in Nebraska? <laughs> now, um, I, 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 was, uh, uh, I was slightly tickled by that statement, by that question. Does anyone want to run against Don Bacon in Nebraska? And uh, I just could not help but think that this is further evidence, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, the Trump administration uh, and and those that are working closely with him or on the side of America, on the side of the Constitution, on the side of restoring this republic, that they are actively looking for those Americans who will stand up and put their name in the hat, so to speak, uh, in regards to uh, people to run against these rhinos, run against these communists, run against these traitors. They're looking for us, ladies and gentlemen. And, and that goes to the point of we being the storm, right? We are the, we are the plan. And, and again, perhaps in that same viewpoint of um, whatever plans, efforts, and powers that be, um, um, are waiting for perhaps enough people to be awake, uh, perhaps enough to be aware uh, so that the popular opinion doesn't go into a riot when the whole world changes, um, or enough people to be running against these traitors, because in, in, in Congress in total, you know, representatives and senators and all, how many of them are really... Uh, America first, save America. How many of them are truly for restoring the Republic? I mean, there's what, a handful of them? More than 10, less than 15, or, or less than that, right? How many Marjorie Taylor Greens, how many Mary Millers, you know, are out there that are actually fighting for us, right? So uh, that, that, is an, that is an open call right there. Run for office now, ladies and gentlemen. We need your support. And I just, I find that funny. Now, uh, Don Bacon, clearly your head is on the chopping block, sir. Uh, we're not going to explore Don Bacon tonight. But I, uh, I thought that, uh, that brief and minute statement uh, spoke volumes in regards to uh, the need, the want, the desire for Americans who really want to save this country and really love this country and want to restore this republic to what it was intended to be, they need us, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of speaking on that note, when we're talking about looking for individuals who will run against these uh, against these traitors to this country, this whole uh, talk about all these uh, all these representatives that are not seeking re-election, right? They're not seeking re-election. Some of them are retiring. A handful of them are seeking other offices, and it begs the question, is there something else going on here? You know, is there something else going on here 
that we see almost like a mass exodus. Now, a lot of them are Democrats, admittedly. Oh, we do have some rhinos and we do have uh, at least one good Republican in this mix. Two of them, actually. Two, two good Republicans in this mix. One of those, of course, being Devin Nunes, who um, officially resigned. And uh, we see his resignation, though, so that he can go and uh, uh, head up uh, Trump's uh, new organization, social media organization. So, uh, you know, things seem okay in that position. I, I wouldn't say Devin Nunes is, is resigning because, uh, because he's involved with Epstein and his name is in a sealed indictment. Well, I know that's speculation about uh, some of the reasons why a lot of these Democrats are not running for re-election. Uh, that is speculation, though, of course, uh, about why they have chosen to uh, bow out, as it were. Uh, this article, this, uh, article from Ballotpedia, I think it's Ballotpedia, kind of just, uh, it kind of just highlights what's going on just so we know exactly, uh, what the number is at this point. Now, this was last updated January 4th. I know all of us out there have heard about these representatives who are not running for re-election, right? Let's see here. So, uh, yeah, Ballotpedia, it's ju- this is just informational, no speculation uh, or no uh, partisanship or anything like that, politics. But it says, uh, this page lists the incumbent members of the 117th U.S. Congress who are not running for re-election in the 2022 congressional elections for both U.S. Senate and U.S. House. As of January 2022, 42 members of Congress, six members of the U.S. Senate, and 36 members of the U.S. House have announced that they will not seek re-election. 27 members, 6 senators, and 21 representatives have announced their retirement. Five retiring Senate members are Republican and one is a Democrat. And of the retiring House members, 16 are Democrats and 5 are Republicans. 15 U.S. House members are running for other offices. Four Republicans and four Democrats are seeking seats in the U.S. Senate. One Republican and two Democrats are running for governor. And one Republican is running for Secretary of State. That would be Jody Heiss out of Georgia, an America First Save America candidate. And one Democrat is running for mayor. And one Democrat and one Republican are running for Attorney General. No U.S. Senate members are running for other offices. So it gives you the breakdown here. Uh, The United States Senate members, you have one Democrat and five Republicans retiring. Uh, It's Richard Burr of North Carolina, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Rob Portman of Ohio, Richard Shelby of Alabama, and Roy Blunt of Missouri. Okay, and then uh, Patrick Lee of uh, Vermont being the sole Democrat there. So uh, what's going on there, right, Uh, with that? I mean, we see some familiar names there, of course, ladies and gentlemen. Some familiar rhinos as well. Then we have the U.S. House members. Uh, again, 36 representatives are not seeking re-election to their House seats, and that is not including those who left early. Of those are 24 Democrats, and 12 of those are Republicans. And we have uh, incumbents retiring from public office. 16 of those are Democrats, and 5 of those are Republicans. I can't tell you how much speculation has uh, come out about uh, possible... Uh, sealed indictments or, you know, even possible connections to uh, Epstein and stuff like that. Again, speculation. You didn't hear anything set in stone from me at the C-Report. 
Let's take a quick gander at those retiring for public office. We have Bobby Rush, Albio Sires, Lucille Roy Ball Allard, Stephanie Murphy, Alan Lowenthal, Devin Nunes, Republican, uh, Peter DeFazio, G.K. Butterfield, Jackie Spear, Adam Kinsinger, good, Michael Doyle, David Price, John Yarmouth, Anthony Gonzalez, another rhino there, uh, Ron Kind, Cherry Bustos, Kevin Brady, a Republican of Texas, uh, Philemon Vela, Tom Reed, uh, Ann Kirkpatrick, and uh, Eddie Bernice Johnson. A lot of Texas people there, guys. Uh, Our incumbents who are seeking other offices, four Republicans and four Democrats from the House. Uh, We got uh, Peter Welch, Connor Lamb, Billy Long, Vicki Hartzler, Val Demings, Ted Budd, Tim Ryan, Mo Brooks. Okay, and Mo Brooks is, I think, running for governor now, if I'm not mistaken, has also received an endorsement from President Trump. Um, House, uh, U.S. House members running for governor, two Democrats, one Republican, Tom Suozzi of New York, Charlie Christ or Christ of Florida, and Lee Zeldin of New York, Lee being that Republican. Uh, U.S. House members running for another office, two Democrats and two Republicans, Louis Gomer of Texas, um, Anthony G. Brown, and Luke Gomert also, of course, is a known good guy. Karen Bass of uh, California and Jody Heiss of um, Georgia. That one's one I'm keeping an eye on as he's going for the Secretary of State office. Uh, so looking forward to a victory there. And so that's just kind of a breakdown. Like I said, that's totally informational. Neither here nor there as far as the politics are concerned. Uh, but yeah, 42. And a lot of those retiring Democrats... And, you know, you got your you got a handful of rhinos in there as well. It That's just good fodder for speculation, you know. Just good fodder for speculation. Kind of like, what's up? What's going on here? Have we seen numbers of this uh, change in mass exodus before? Who knows, ladies and gentlemen? At least not me at this point in time. All right. Let's talk about this guy here, guys. This one is an endorsement that I found very interesting uh, because we see uh, we see an endorsement coming for a, a leader of another country, right? And I was kind of like, well, hey, at least we can identify another good guy or at least uh, someone who stands on the side of uh, their nation first and rights for their people. Now, I had to do a little bit of digging into this man because I had no idea about it. Again, if I were really paying attention in 2016, I might have caught wind of him. Uh, and so uh, you are looking at um, you are looking at uh, Prime Minister of Hungary. Okay, and that was another thing that kind of uh, caught my attention. Because like Hungary, like uh, they're they're usually being touted as uh, being against America, you know, or being in in cahoots with other people that are anti-American or anti-America agenda. This is the uh, current prime minister of Hungary. His name is Viktor Orban, okay? Viktor Orban, and uh, he has received the endorsement of President Trump. And I was like, the mainstream, mainstream fake news legacy media is going to have a field day with this. Uh, uh, being like, oh, who does President Trump, or, or should I say the way that, who does former President Trump think he is, that he can go and endorse someone from an entirely different country, 
you know, the, the, uh, the audacity this man has to think that he still has enough influence and that people still care about his opinion on uh, world leaders and the world politics uh, and the geopolitical stage. Um, but uh, indeed, President Trump has endorsed this man. Okay, I'm, I'm looking forward to a President Bolsonaro endorsement by President Trump. But apparently, um, uh, Victor Orban actually endorsed President Trump in 2016. Okay, so uh, there's a bit of history here. In addition to that, um, um, Victor Orban has also uh, opposed the European Union and uh, the way that it strips nations of their sovereignty. Okay. Uh, let's see what President Trump said in his endorsement of Viktor Orban. President Trump said, Viktor Orban of Hungary truly loves his country and wants safety for his people. He has done a powerful and wonderful job in protecting Hungary, stopping illegal immigration, creating jobs, trade, and should be allowed to continue to do so in the upcoming election. He is a strong leader and respected by all. He has my complete support and endorsement for re-election as prime minister. So you guys got to know that um, the left, the progressives, the globalists were probably totally, totally just... uh, inflamed by this endorsement and by this statement from President Trump, um, Breitbart London reported that uh, last year the Orban uh, drew battle lines against the Hungarian left. So this is more to, uh, this is more to, this is more to the praise of Orban in regards to uh, President Trump's endorsement of him. Um, but you know, they're just totally inflamed. Uh, the media portrays Victor Orban as a far right autocratic dictator. Okay. Uh, but now again, like, as I was saying about Breitbart London and what they said on him, the, the, uh, uh, article I got this from said that Orban drew battle lines against the Hungarian left their international backers in the European Union and in the foreign press, and big tech in a passionate, wide-ranging speech commemorating the 1956 uprising against the country's then-communist puppet government. So apparently something's going on here. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, when we're talking about the international arena... And uh, where that puts us in regards to the press, the media, and, uh, and what's really going on. Like I was talking about earlier about uh, imagine the swamp on a global level and everything that they had to do there. And every now and then we see a leader from another country that um, aligns with, uh, you know, America, America first or nationalistic values. Um, which are also often demonized. Uh, you have to wonder what's really going on here, right? Like, you know, take take Bolsonaro for example. Like we've mentioned him, and I might add, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are not aware, Bolsonaro is currently in the hospital um, for a, uh, I believe it's an intestinal obstruction. 
um, that he is, uh, I think he's going to be having surgery. So prayers to Bol- President Bolsonaro and his family and the people of Brazil that that goes okay. I don't have the article here for you guys, but I'm sure you could look it up. Um, and uh, the obstruction in his intestines is actually related to when he was attacked. He was stabbed in uh, what would have been a political assassination um, that failed. Thank God it failed uh, for the people of Brazil and, uh, of course, Brazil being uh, the fourth largest democracy uh, on the planet. Um, But anyways, uh, thinking about Bolsonaro, we think about how he's been demonized in the media, in the press and in his country also, obviously, um, by the left, by progressives, by communist sympathizers, uh, those in disguise using parading around under the blankets of democracy and socialism, right, Uh, to uh, to demonize a president who basically is standing up for his people, you know, standing up for Second Amendment and uh, rights and freedom rights in their country. We have Orban, who is totally off my radar, totally off my radar, right? But we have, uh, we have the media portraying him again as a dictator. Uh, we have the media portraying him as being far right, this Orban man. Now, I've got some articles for us to consider about Orban um, that talk about uh, why they see him, uh, they being the globalist, uh, Western-backed media, mainstream legacy media press, right, for them. And then also why they, uh, they don't like him and why the left hate him. So let's take a look and kind of expand our well of knowledge on the international stage about certain, uh, you know, certain individuals. And uh, we call them actors here, right? And what, uh, what they stand for, what they mean. So let's see what they had to say. This article comes from Deutsche Wells Broadcasting. Uh, and this is obviously out of Germany. Um, and uh, let's see what it has to say about Viktor Orban. Now, this article comes from, uh, let's see, uh, September 17th, 2020. So it's over a year old. Headline reads, Viktor Orban Fidesz's allies defang Hungary's critical media. Okay, so uh, actually, was this the first one that I wanted to share with you guys? No, this is not. Let me, uh, let me get my articles in order here. This is the one we'll share first with you guys. This is from The Hill. And uh, this is dated... What's my date here? Uh, this is dated uh, July 30th, 2021. Headline reads, It can't happen here. Victor Orban's Hungary shows how democracy dies. So for those of you who like to read The Hill... Um, well, I mean, uh, their point of view, and maybe they think they can get away with it because it's an international leader, but their point of view on Viktor Orban tells you a lot about the hill, okay? Because, again, I mean, maybe they're just like, ah, Americans who, uh, they won't realize, uh, you know, that this is a good guy we're attacking. But let me tell you what, guys, for the way that Viktor Orban has handled things, okay, in his country... He makes it easy for the left and the uh, mainstream uh, legacy media to demonize him, okay? And I think something we can take away from this as we go through Viktor Orban and his legacy is that is, is how not to handle things, maybe, because 
if President Trump had handled things the way Orban handled things, oh boy, would uh, would the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media have a filled day and it would be easy for them to demonize. So think about the way that the mainstream media lies and propagandizes and uh, kind of paints a convoluted picture that pushes their narrative forward knowing that international audiences will be none the wiser because we're not there on the ground and we're not seeing what they see. Okay, so all of these like kind of narratives kind of like play in my mind as we go through this. But let's go ahead and take a look at what The Hill had to say. Again, they say Victor Orban's administration shows how democracy dies, right? That's what they say. That's what their headline reads. Now, uh, let's skip this here. It says, okay, it says here, today the government of Hungarian, of Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban is accused of using spyware against Hungarian civil society. Orban's government issued an official reply to the accusation saying that Hungary is a democratic state that believes in the rule of law. That may be the problem. The rule of law is being used as an excuse to establish an autocratic regime in Hungary and elsewhere. Orban's Hungary offers a cautionary tale of how this move toward autocracy can happen in the context of a parliamentary democracy. Oh, well, to that, the Hill, I would say, oh, well, the way that the uh, globalist elitists have been using the cover of democracy to spread color revolutions and overthrow nations is a good example of uh, how you guys try to take over the world, but eventually they'll fail. Okay. So it says here, Viktor Orban did not start out as an autocrat. He stood up against the Soviet Union as a university student, calling for the withdrawal of Soviet troops from Hungary in 1989. His Fidesz party, um, which now rules Hungary, was founded by a group of pro-Democrats. When the Berlin Wall came down, Orban supported democratic elections and a market-based economy. He embraced Hungary's engagement with Europe and was active in Hungarian liberal policies. Orban and Fidesz's, that's the party, the Fidesz's party, began a shift to the right in the mid-1990s when the largest center-right party fell apart and Fidesz claimed that political space, despite its liberal roots, it worked. And in 1998, Fitzes prevailed in the national elections and Orban became prime minister. Fitzes lost power in 2002 and Orban was out. He became prime minister again in 2010 when he and Fitzes regained power. The interregnum inter, in, inter, between uh, 2002 and 2010 apparently was a learning period for Orban and his party. Maybe it was interim. Uh, the lesson learned uh, were about power, not policy. Hungary was hit hard by the 2008 economic crisis. Its economy sh- uh, shrank by 7% in 2008. And the solution was to turn to International Monetary Fund, which required Hungary to implement an unpopular austerity program. Orban and Fitzes viewed this as an opportunity and successfully ran in 2010 on a platform of taking on big business and the European Union, and telling voters he would help them take back their country. It was Orban's first foray into what would become his brand of autocratic populism. After winning the election in 2010, Orban began efforts to control the media. Specifically, he established a commission fining journalists for vague attacks on human dignity. He put Fitch's loyalists in charge of state-supported media outlets and imposed regulations on media outlets critical of the government while giving special rights to those that were supportive. 
So I'll pause there and I'll say, okay, um, picture this. We have the same mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media press in Hungary that we have in America. They have their CNNs. They have their bought out uh, reporters. They have their Mockingbird media, right? This was one of the main goals of the elitist globalist uh, dominators back in the day, right? Back when they were establishing America, back in the 1700s, 1800s. What did they do? What have we learned? That, uh, you know, they bought the, uh, with the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, they bought up media. They bought up newspapers. They bought up news organizations. Then we have the CIA, Mockingbird Media, where they install all of their people into the media. They install, you know, government, uh, three-letter agency people to make sure there's a narrative control. They, they create CNN. They create uh, news broadcasting networks on cable networks where they're, they're, uh, they're, they're able to prop- uh, propagandize, uh, whereas, you know, like on... Um, on, a, on a, um, uh, national broadcasting networks, not the cable networks, you, you can't propagandize. So if you have that going on over there in all countries, okay, and then uh, you have Orban coming into power, okay, uh, and uh, according to this article, he then begins to regulate, he begins to regulate the press and the news. Of course, it's going to be easy to say that, uh, you know, um, he put loyalists in charge of state-supported media outlets, that he imposed regulations on media outlets that were critical of the government, okay? Now, is it possible, and I'm not in Hungary, so I don't know, but is it possible that when they're talking about uh, um, Orban loyalists, that they could just be talking about people who uh, believe in freedom of speech? Uh, was there a clampdown? Were they having a colored revolution? Uh, were they were they demonizing Orban and his administration the same way that we see CNN and MSBN, uh, MSDNC doing here in America of anyone that's pro-America, pro-Constitution, pro-restoration of the Republic, and that isn't a globalist hack or someone that follows the globalist uh, elitist um, desires and trends? So food for thought, okay? But again, as we move into this, I will say... That if President Trump had done what Orban did, say it's with the same, uh, same, uh, same goal, which is to uh, to get the media snakes out, to get the bought off, paid for um, hacks out. Like uh, they would be, it would be very easy for them to cast this shadow of of dict- dictatorship or dictatorial control over someone like President Trump. But uh, let, let's see uh, what else this says here. Now, it says that Orban did not stop there in 2012. He pushed a new constitution through parliament. He reworked the electoral system with creative gerrymandering. He also overhauled the judicial system, among other things, establishing a national judicial office so Orban could put in place judges loyal to him and Fitz's. Okay. Orban's politics were in keeping with his more institutional moves to consolidate power. He began to embrace the issues being put forward by the far-right Hungarian party, Jobbik, which has an anti-Semitic focus. Of course, they're going to highlight that because he viewed them as a political threat. In 2015, Orban declared that he would build a 100-mile fence on the Hungarian border to keep refugees out, referring to them as rapists, criminals, and terrorists. So who does this man sound like right now that President Trump just endorsed? By gosh, by golly, he sounds like President Trump and what the media was saying he was, calling, uh, calling Mexicans rapists, criminals, and terrorists, right? It's almost like the same playbook against both leaders, and then uh, we're also talking here about um, 
uh, how he made a new constitution. So that kind of situation reminds me of like, uh, uh, say we take, for example, Myanmar, which obviously has been mired in the headlines and, you know, other other ideas and stories there. But one of the prevailing theories was that the military of Myanmar overthrew that uh, uh, democratically elected government because they were Western-backed globalists. And in order for them to seize control from these Western-backed globalists, they had to uh, install a military junta, or what the international press would call, you know, a dictatorship run by military, uh, you know, um, a military coup is what they called it. So um, you kind of see here the same overtones here. And again, when we're talking about international geopolitics, uh, the 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 field is largely foggy, you know, because uh, to know the in and outs and what's really going on, you know, who do you trust? So I kind of look at President Trump's example, right? Um, if he's endorsing, you know, Orban, if he is willing to work out something with the Taliban, could there be another story here that we are not being told? If he can, if he can sit and have a talk with. Putin of Russia, right? And they can be allies. Same thing with North Korea, right? I mean, we know those to be, especially North Korea, to be total enemies of humanity. But could there be something else going on there that we're not seeing? I'm not saying North Korea has has been uh, wrongly demonized throughout the ages. No, 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 no. That's not what Mr. C is saying. All I'm saying is that uh, could a a leaf have been turned um, could the narrative of the media that's being fueled and propagated by the globalist elite and those of the Western back societies, um, could that narrative possibly have been changed or being destroyed, right? So uh, kind, those are all the things that I look at when I'm considering the world's, world scene. Uh, but more importantly, if President Trump is endorsing someone, I'm willing to give it that thought, Okay. Because uh, I don't think he would endorse them for nothing. I do think in reading these articles that Orban handled it in a very, um, I mean, he, he took control, guys, and it made it easy for them him to be demonized on the world stage. But let's finish the, we're going to read this one last article here about Orban from The Hill. It says, uh, versions of Orban playbook, Orban's playbook are appearing elsewhere in Europe, including Poland, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic. With varying degrees of success, the biggest ally of Orban and Fitch's, however, has been the lack of an organized political opposition. The erosion of democracy in Hungary took time, and the political takeover came from within, in part because the pushback by the political opposition was ineffective and at times apathetic. Recent protests in Hungary in support of the LGBTQ plus rights are an indication that the Hungarian people are beginning to push back against Orban, but this effort must be expanded and sustained if it is to succeed. And it says much damage has been done already. But I have already read an article that says, um, you know, Orban actually does support gay rights. He just does not favor trans rights as much. So that's from The Hill. Apparently, uh, Viktor Orban killed democracy in Hungary. He wasn't protecting his people and trying to keep his nation sovereign, according to The Hill. Now, this one is the, uh, the Deutsche Wells uh, Freedom Broadcast. 
Viktor Orban, Fitch's allies, defang Hungary's critical media. So this one talks about how Orban went about uh, stripping the media, supposedly, of free speech and, uh, and um, clamping down on political opposition in the media. Um, he's, declared a, uh, he's declared an enemy of the press. Um, but, uh, I mean, could it just be that he was getting rid of all the, uh, the uh, Western-backed uh, CNNs of Hungary? Could that be the case? And we're being told something different in the media. I look for those taglines, guys. If they're calling someone right-wing or far-right, they're probably uh, enemy press. So uh, let's see here. Viktor Orban, Fitch's allies defang Hungary's critical media. Uh, this one came again from, um, what was the time here? The date. Oh, yeah. This is September 2020. Viktor Orban's government continues its campaign against independent media in Hungary and other EU countries. Journalists say freedom of speech and opinion are increasingly threatened. Okay. And the way they, they write about it, you would believe it. This guy is a dictator. He's got to be bad news. And then it's like, wait, President Trump endorsed him. First, the largest news portal in Hungary was gutted. Then the editor of, liberal, of a liberal weekly was forced out. Now the government has declined to renew the broadcasting license of the country's last independent politi- political radio station. Hungary's media landscape is rapidly being remade. Businessmen close to the government are bring in, bringing independent publications into line, while the authorities are silencing the remaining independent voices. The most recent case involves the left liberal news and talk station Klut. Club Radio. On September 11th, the state media authority, the NMHH, which is headed by loyalists to Prime Minister Viktor Orban, announced that it would not extend Club Radio's broadcasting license when it expires in February because the station had repeatedly infringed on the law. The announcement came as a shock to the Hungarians uh, critical of the government, but it may have even alarmed relatively moderate supporters of Orban's nationalist Fitz's party. Uh, Club Radio um, has long been a bastion of independent radio journalism in Hungary, uh, what like NPR is, right? Uh, The only station critical of the government that officials also listen to regularly. Um, It goes on to say the infringement that the NMHH used to justify its refusal to renew the license include Club Radio's failure to meet the deadline to inform regulators of the ratio of Hungarian music to foreign music played on the air. So, uh, so we got this one last article on Viktor Orban and then uh, a couple more stories and we'll call it a wrap. And I hope you guys are enjoying yourselves out there. Uh, let me pop into chat real quick and uh, thank you, uh, Mez, again for the cookie. Oh, wait, wait, wait yes. Uh, well, thank you again, sir. I'll just repeat my gratitude for you. <laughs> and uh, Vinny1765, welcome in and thank you for donating a thousand gold pills. It says, uh, Happy New Year, Mr. C. All the best for 2022. And likewise, my friend, all the best to you and yours and everyone. Everyone here and abroad. And uh, good evening to uh, you, Mr. The Speak Uneasy. Welcome in. Welcome in. And good to see you, sir. And glad you guys are still joining us. Hey, Special Patriot 72. How you doing tonight? Thanks for uh, popping on in. All right, so uh, this uh, article, this last article on Orban, uh, again, uh, just uh, endorsed by President Trump, um, actually talks about why liberals hate Hungary's Viktor Orban. So it's a bit of a different perspective, um, which is totally opposite of what uh, these other uh, media outlets have been saying about this man. So this one is from August 2021. It comes to us from The Federalist. 
and it saith, uh, In the last couple of days, the leftist Twitter sphere had a total meltdown over Hungary. Uh, the immediate cause was Fox News's host Tucker Carlson's visit to Hungary to shoot a documentary and take part in a conference. In Orban's Hungary, plus 90% of media is controlled by the ruling party. Businesses are physically and legally harassed if they don't tow the party line or if someone wants them cheap. Elections are manipulated. Party leaders are mysteriously rich. A model for Fox, Ask the Atlantics, and Applebaum on Twitter. So again, an attack on uh, the way they do things there. Um, we had um, this also said by a Yale University professor by the name of Jason Stanley. He said, Orban destroyed Hungarian democratic institutions, taking over the courts and using them as a weapon against his opponents and to enrich his family and friends. There are no more independent media. State contracts enrich his family. The U.S. far right is going over there to learn. So imagine, you know, what people must think about President Trump for endorsing if you read statements like that, Right. Uh, again, someone from The Atlantic, again, uh, The Atlantic doing a write-up on that, uh, that uh, Representative Davis out of Illinois. Um, this guy from The Atlantic said, uh, I visited Hungary in 2016. Again and again, I witnessed a gesture I thought had vanished from Europe forever. People turning their heads to check who was listening before they lent, lent forward to whisper what they had to say. They feared for their jobs, not their lives, but still. Okay. So the writer from this article from the Federalist says, um, I have often tried to understand the interesting phenomenon of anti-Orban rhetoric in the United States and Britain purely from a historical perspective. Leftists have a curious obsession with Hungary. Orban is routinely called far right by a section of the American uh, journalist and pundit class who may never have heard of Jobbik, which was another political party, nor have any idea of what the real far right in Europe can mean or even look like. Another layer of irony is that the same leftists who despise Orban also support Ukraine against Russia, even when Ukraine's rebels include the Pravi sector, one of the most notorious ultra-nationalist groups in Europe. The entire logic is similar to the Rambo 3 epilogue in which the film supported the brave Mujahideen in Afghanistan fighting Russia. At the same age, Applebaum and Frum were shilling for a war that would lead to hundreds of thousands of casualties and more than $6 trillion wasted. Now, again, Applebaum and Frum were two of the individuals that we just quoted who were talking ill of Orban and his administration. So uh, this writer saying at the same age as those two writers, Orban was an anti-Soviet dissident. That's perhaps partially why he's hated so much. Here's the great hope um, that uh, this person uses a lot of movie references. Here's the great hope. The Anakin Skywalker of post-Soviet Eastern Europe suddenly turning into a Christian nationalist opposed to mass immigration and unchecked labor mobility, as well as sexual liberation. Liberal criticism of Orban, therefore, also stems from his deviation from the anointed path. Again, the progressives, the communists, they're all against what, uh, what uh, Orban is fighting for. One of the theological understandings of post-Cold War Central and Eastern Europe was that they were all trying to overthrow the Soviet superstructure because they were liberals. Poland and Hungary, turning back to their pre-World War I roots, therefore, marks a deviation from that path. Apostates are worse than heathens for sacramental liberalism, and Orban is the man who turned heretic. 
America isn't the only one. Recently, the European Union published two reports. The first one was titled 2021 Rule of Law Report. It explicitly states that respect for the rule of law and the equality of member states in the European Union requires European Union law to have primacy over national law and the rulings of the CJEU to be binding on all member states' authorities, including national courts. Consider the implications. If you are a member of the European Union, you have to know that European Union laws and court judgments will supersede your democratically elected government, laws, parliament, presidency, and national laws. Essentially, this is an imperial system in which the nation-states are provinces bound under European Union supremacy. The hint at this was explicit. Hungary and Poland cannot be members of the European Union and have national laws opposed to any European, a European parliament dictates on anything from immigration to sexuality. The second report, which was authorized by the European Commission, warns that memes are tools for radicalization from the far right. It says Doge and Pepe the Frog are routinely used in helping to normalize hostile attitudes towards minorities and political opponents, as well as a kind of anti-elite arrogance and condescension. Once again, if you're in a member state of the European Union, you cannot in the future criticize the elite or use memes or you'll be considered a pawn of the far right. Let's go back to the tweets from Applebaum and from people uh, fearing for their jobs due to imposed social taboos and the state mandated ostracism for anyone who oppose extreme social deviancy such as criminal thuggery as well as unchecked sexual liberation and open borders fueled by ever-growing NGOocracy. Does that sound like a totalitarian Hungary or the United States? Orban is not even right-wing in the American parlance. He's a statist Christian nationalist who uses the state power to impose or roll back, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, a certain set of values. As David Harsanyi mentioned on Twitter, that has more in common with progressivism, but the progressive simply cannot stand or bond because he is using their own style against them to impose policies that they don't prefer. In that way, Orban is far more successful, measured purely by legislative achievements than both contemporary British and American right, which would rather sit back and let big tech decide your morality. His popularity, popularity in Hungary and the landslide victories are a testament to that. Okay, so that says a lot right there that the other two articles didn't. This man won the popular vote. He won in landslides. Uh, he's against the European Union. He's against, Europe he's against progressive ideas. He's a Christian nationalist. He wants, the, he wants his nation to maintain its sovereignty and therefore uh, to protect his citizens uh, from European Union overreach. I mean, it's pretty simple for me to understand um, why he's been de been demonized. I will just say again, perhaps the way he went about it, which was like, get him out, get him out, get him out. Kind of like Putin, like uh, whenever he uh, fired his entire par parliament and they all had to resign and or uh, as the media put it, um, uh, what do you call it? Retire. Uh, just getting them out. And that's actually what we want to see here in the States, right? We want to see, uh, we want to see the, you know, someone like President Trump fire Congress, get them all out and replace them. But then guess what happens when that happens? 
uh, it becomes easy for him to be demonized as a dictator. Oh, he just got rid of Congress and replaced him with everyone who would support him, which is why as we have taken the battle to Congress and the elected representatives, as we're finding people to replace the rhinos, we're also having to see uh, the dismantling of the mainstream legacy media. Uh, And that's another thing that needs to be addressed. And I think it's happening in part, little by little, the fractures, uh, you know, they're cracking away at them and they're also dismantling themselves. Um, A good example is uh, when you see uh, uh, networks like CNN decrying, you know, um, uh, decrying, uh, what do you call it, Uh, um, like the Me Too movement and sexual assault, sexual harassment, child rape. And then yet you have perpetrators working within their own network who are guilty of the same thing. So Skeeterberg says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Thank you very much, ma'am. I couldn't, I could have saved the last 20 to 30 minutes of conversation if I had just said that, right? (laughs) All right, guys, we're moving along. Uh, that's the Breitbart one. Um, yeah, we're, we're good with that. I think we're good. Pres- uh, Prime Minister Orban has uh, received the endorsement of President Trump. I'll let that rest there for tonight. Okay, guys, give me about uh, 15 more minutes and we will wrap up tonight. Got a few quick stories from the judiciary side. Again, thanks for joining us here at the Sea Report on this Tuesday evening. And uh, let's see, what do we got? We got Letitia James, the uh, Attorney General of New York, on the screen with President Trump. Uh, Just a real quick quip into what's going on there. Of course, as you guys know, Letitia James uh, ran on a platform of uh, getting Trump and bringing him in and reining him into justice. Uh, Both she and uh, Cy Vance, the former DA over there, have been very unsuccessful. They've not been able to make anything stick. Uh, They want to call him in for... uh, depositions. They're trying to get him subpoenaed. Uh, they want that, they want that trophy on their mantle as it were. Well, it seems now in those efforts, uh, New York attorney general, Letitia James has subpoenaed Don Jr. And Ivanka Trump as part of a civil fraud probe into whether the Trump organization inflated values of some of its properties. Uh, I think there, I believe there was a property up in, uh, I think it was uh, up in New York, New York. It was obviously right uh but yeah they're they're saying this this whole thing goes back to like the taxes and the value of the property um and they're just you know after appraisals they're saying that uh he valued it much higher and so therefore you know he got more tax cuts or he got more money out of it uh so they're doing all that so now they've she subpoenaed them so again uh just letting you know on the judicial side uh they're still trying to uh to block president trump to uh mire his name any way that they can because they know this man will be president again. Okay, I'll, I'll, I was going to say, will be reelected. Well, psh, the man was never unelected to begin with. But again, James, a Democrat, has spent more than two years looking at whether the Trump organization misled banks or tax officials about the value of its assets, inflating them to gain favorable loan terms or minimizing them to reap tax savings. And again, I will say that to Letitia James. Uh, you know, you guys created the tax code. Well, maybe not James specifically, but, uh, if they provide loopholes for the ultra rich to exploit, I don't see anything wrong with president Trump doing that. He's just using their terms against them. Wouldn't you do the same thing, America? Wouldn't you? (laughs) And they tried to get him before, uh, but they couldn't. 
because it, what was his tax book? He had a, a tax cheat book that they were looking at and other stuff. Yeah. Special Patriot 72 says, are reaching for anything much? I'll say they're going to be pretty tall if they keep on stretching that high, right? Anyways, let's get past that. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, the head is missing on purpose. Um, this is a story about nipple rings, Cuomo. And this is actually a rather disheartening story. Uh, in brief, guys, of course, as we know, uh, what the uh, government of Pennsylvania, um, New Jersey, I apologize, New Jersey, um, they settled the nursing uh, home COVID death scandal, right? Where we saw, um, we saw across the board, uh, thousands of residents in nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, etc. Uh, we saw them uh, uh, dying, sent to their death, as uh, we had five states in particular that mandated that uh, no patient shall be turned away, whether they had pos- uh, tested positively for COVID or were previously positive for COVID. And, you know, they weren't to be tested upon readmittance. And again, that was, uh, that was uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, California, and New York. Okay, Um, and so in New Jersey, they settled. We talked about that on a previous episode. They settled uh, so the families would receive some type of compensation. Much worse in New York, ladies and gentlemen, the the government, the state of New York has outright totally dismissed any implications of Cuomo's involvement in the nursing home death scandal. Indeed, they've dismissed it altogether. No one will be held accountable in the case of the hundreds of deaths of New York residences when they were, uh, when they were sub- sent to their death, basically, uh, by allowing those who may have been sick or ill back into a highly susceptible area for infection and for, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, for, for death. This is a terrible story. Justice is not being served in um, New York. Here from Fox News headline reads, Manhattan DA closes probe into nursing home deaths without charging Cuomo. So saith the attorney. A report last year revealed that the state underreported deaths in nursing homes by as much as 50%. This is disgusting, guys. Uh, Real quick, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is closing its investigation into former New York Governor Andrew Nipple-Rings Cuomo's handling of nursing home COVID-19 deaths without bringing charges against Cuomo, according to the former governor's attorney. I was contacted today by the head of the elder care unit from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, who informed me they have closed its investigation involving the executive chamber and nursing homes. Ilkin Abramovitz, a former federal prosecutor, Um, who had been hired to represent Cuomo said Monday, I was told that after a thorough investigation, as we have said all along, there is no evidence to suggest that any laws were broken. This is just, this is just infuriating, ladies and gentlemen. Melissa de Rossi, whose name I failed to remember in the last report, his former, his former head secretary, administrative assistant, uh, by him I mean Cuomo, okay, her family directly tied to the New York uh, Hospital Greater Health Systems and the, uh, and the nursing homes, okay, in tandem with Governor Cuomo, 
knowing that they're receiving money from the federal government for COVID-19 cases, sending people back into the nursing home underreporting, not telling people about whether or not, uh, you know, they, they started in the nursing home and went to the hospital and died, etc. All that stuff, guys. It's infuriating to note that this is happening, and yet they're saying that they found nothing in their investigation. To which I'm saying, oh, well, perhaps this uh, Governor Cuomo's sexual harassment case was totally intentional. Now, maybe it's not the way that Nipple Rings wanted it to go, because Nipple Rings probably wanted to stay in office as long as he could, without scandal. But perhaps the people who are weaving that story for him, the puppet masters, as it were, Perhaps they're like, well, either you take this hit and we get you out or you're going to have to face charges for this nursing home debt scandal. Oh, but wait, we don't want that to happen because we don't want that to mar the great state of New York. And indeed, we don't want to pay settlements. Right. So uh, I think that this investigation, I think they should reinvestigate or investigate the investigators. Like in the case of uh, Wretched Gretchen Whitmer in uh, Michigan, you know, it was found that uh, her uh, her former head of the Health and Human Services, uh, who was also part of an investigation, received a great payday f- uh, for retiring. OK, and there people are kind of like, why is he getting like these thousands of dollars? Was that to keep him silent? OK, now, if we hop over to the Gateway Pundit real quick, um, who uh, who um, was good at documenting a lot of this information. Uh, we see here some of the evidence that they were ignoring, uh, seemingly, in this investigation. Um, let's see here. So it says here, during the global health emergency, all of the nursing homes uh, must comply with ex- uh, ex- expedited receipt of residents and returning from hospitals to nursing homes. And also, no residents shall be denied readmission um, or admission to the nursing home solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. So we've, we've gone through this before, guys. This was the notice from, uh, from uh, Governor Cuomo uh, and the New York uh, Department of Health, right? All of these guys involved in it. That was their mandate, okay? And, um, and then, of course, the money part, Cuomo's insane directives was related to money. In 2018, as Governor Andrew Cuomo faced a challenge to his re-election bid in the New York State Democrat, Democrat primary, he got a last-minute $1 million cash infusion from General New York Hospital Association, a powerful New York healthcare industry group, on April 2, 2020. He repaid the favor when he quietly signed legislation shielding hospitals and nursing home executives from any lawsuits stemming from the coronavirus outbreak. The clauses inserted into the annual budget a bill by Cuomo gave blanket immunity protections for healthcare industry executive and administrators, the same individuals and institutions that have made a fortune moving sick COVID-19 patients to nursing homes. The Greater New York Health Administration gave the Democrats an unheard of $3 million in the 2018 election cycle. Of this, Cuomo and his state party committee received close to $2.3 million from various hospitals and nursing home industry donors. Governor Cuomo returned the favor with his directive, forcing COVID-19 patients back into elderly homes. This directive provided a massive increase in revenues to organizations associated with the GNYHA who were paid handsomely for COVID patients. It was a bonanza for these entities. Okay. And now we see... Now we see 
that uh, they've totally dismissed this case. And it says down here, not only did Cuomo kill thousands of elderly, he covered up the data and hid it from the feds. Okay, and then we'll never forget Melissa DeRosa was uh, was actually documented telling um, telling uh, um, Democrats, uh, we're sorry, we didn't know what to do. President Trump was calling us out. We thought it was going to be political. So we messed up like that's documented as well. Okay. So yeah, no charges being brought up against Cuomo. Uh, This case is dismissed. This is disgusting. Uh, This is a total miscarriage of justice. You know, not to sound like, you know, just full of rhetoric, but I mean, really guys, uh, think about the families here who are, are, who have lost their loved ones. It's bad enough that in some instances, we could not even see our loved ones because of these uh, severe mandates that didn't allow us, some of them on their deathbed, guys. And uh, I, that happened to me too. You know, that happened to my dad, you know, as well. Um, and uh, and yet we see no justice. And it's, it's disgusting that this happened. Um, how does one go about rectifying that? I just, you know, it's beyond me. Uh, but... Uh, We'll see what happens in California and in Michigan and in Pennsylvania, as it seems these uh, five states with the governors involved in this nursing home death scandal, COVID-19 death scandal, they're starting to turn the page on it. Uh, New Jersey has settled. New York has dismissed. What will be the fate of the other three states and their victims? We'll find out. All right, guys, and we're going to wrap up today with uh, these judiciary uh, cases. Uh, We have uh, the um, settlement between uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Roberts Jufree becoming public. One wondered why on earth would they allow this document to go public? And in my opinion, it seems that it was in favor of Prince Andrew. So this way he could try and get his case published. uh, dismissed. And that is the case that uh, Virginia Roberts Jufri is bringing up against him. Now, uh, we will note that in the settlement, and this comes from KUOW, talking about the uh, federal court releasing the document, the settlement between Epstein and Jufri, we'll see that this uh, settlement uh, supposedly would have, uh, um, would have relinquished any any guilt or responsibility to any other parties involved with Jeffrey Epstein. Let's see what the uh, article says. The settlement deal between disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Dufresne, one of his main accusers, was publicly released Monday after being kept secret for more than a decade. The 2009 agreement was filed under seal in two courts cased, uh, co- cases that pit Dufresne against UK's, Prime Minister, uh, UK's Prince Andrew and attorney Alan Dershowitz. Jufri says Epstein arranged for her to have sex with the men on multiple occasions when she was a minor. And uh, it goes on to say, in the agreement, Jufri agreed to end her lawsuit filed as Jane Doe number 102 versus Jeffrey Epstein in exchange for Epstein's agreeing to give Jufri $500,000 and other valuable consideration an accommodation that was not explained in detail. Some terms of the deal also apply to second parties and other potential defendants, categories that could apply to many of Epstein's alleged co-conspirators. For instance, the agreement states that upon taking effect, it will remise, release, acquit, satisfy, and forever discharge anyone who could be a potential defendant from state or federal lawsuits filed by Jufri. 
The expansive terms of the agreement apply from the beginning of the world to the day of this release. District judges Loretta A. Preska and Louis A. Kaplan ruled in December that the entire document should be publicly released, saying that no parties in the legal proceedings had shown good cause for it to remain obscured. Epstein died in 2019, etc. The 12-page settlement is a final resolution of a disputed claim and is intended to avoid litigation, the document states, but its language is certain to be parsed in the ongoing court cases involving Dershowitz and Andrew, while parts of the deal seek to limit the legal exposure of people in Epstein's inner circle, it's uncertain how it could be applied in those lawsuits. Okay, so it seems to me that, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't even expand that for you guys. My bad. You were supposed to be, <laughs> you're looking at me struggle to read. And <laughs> Anyways, uh, for you people on the podcast, you just missed something. Um, but uh, it seems to me that this entire, the reason why they released this was possibly to aid Prince Andrew in getting his case dismissed uh, because apparently he's going to be forgiven, satisfied, discharged, dismissed of all guilt. And look at those baby crunchers, guys. That's Prince Andrew on the screen, man. Can you say carnivore? Can you say, can you say, uh, what do you call it? Predator? Man, he looks like he crunches on bones all day, right? Anyways, okay. Uh, for those of you on the podcast, we're looking at a very crazy picture of Prince Andrew. Um, but it seems like, uh, it seems like they might've released this document in his favor. Okay. So that was my thought when it was like, well, what's in here? What is it that we're really going to take a look at? Is this really going to put the black book to rest? Are we really not going to be able to get any of Epstein's co-conspirators because of this settlement? Maybe in regards to Virginia Roberts Jufri, but what about all the 100 plus other, uh, you know, victims out there, right? So today, Prince Andrew and his legal team were in court trying to get this case dismissed. And uh, here's some of the update on that. Uh, this comes from the Associated Press, and I will expand the article this time. Uh, headline, Prince Andrew effort to toss sex assault suit hits a roadblock. So perhaps this won't work in his favor. Let's see what the article has to say. It says here, a judge was mostly dismissive Tuesday of arguments by a lawyer for Prince Andrew who wants to win fast rejection of a lawsuit filed by a woman who says she was sexually assaulted, uh, sexually trafficked to the royal by the millionaire Jeffrey Epstein when she was 17 U.S. District Judge Louis A. Kaplan did not immediately rule at the end of a video conference, but he made clear that he was not leaning Andrew's way as he rejected much of the reasoning offered by the prince's attorney, Andrew Brettler, who said the case should be absolutely dismissed. Kaplan repeatedly shot down Brettler's arguments or disputed them with other reasoning. So what? Kaplan responded to one argument. To another, he said, I understand you are asserting that, but it doesn't mean it's correct. And to another, Mr. Brettler, I understand your point. It just isn't the law. When the hearing concluded, Kaplan promised a ruling soon and said he appreciated the argument and the passion. The judge directed that the exchange of potential evidence in the case was to proceed as scheduled. Virginia Jufree sued the prince in August, saying she was coerced into sexual encounters with the prince in 2001 by Epstein and his longtime companion, Ghislaine Maxwell. Attorney David Boyes, representing Jufree, argued against dismissal of the lawsuit. 
And then it gives you a little bit of um, information about Epstein and his supposed suicide. So, guys, that's where we leave off. It doesn't look good for Prince Andrew. If there's been an update on that, well, I don't have it at this time. Uh, That was uh, hitting the press just as I was going on the air today. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on tonight's episode of The Sea Report. And uh, I appreciate the company. And I hope uh, you guys enjoyed uh, the information we shared tonight. Uh, We do this every night as we're here. Um, Again, yesterday I was out for a doctor's appointment. All is well in that uh, sphere of things. Uh, So we should be back tomorrow for another episode. Um, And uh, do make sure to check us out at thecereport.com. And also check out the podcast if you have a moment, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, let me go ahead and get that uh, up there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the podcast is over at anchor.fm slash the C report. And like I like to say, if you don't have time to have your eyes glued to the TV or to the screen uh, and you, you want to take Mr. C on the go, take me for a jog, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work alongside with you while you do your homework, etc. Um, I know I'm, I personally prefer like uh, the podcast and, and listening um, because my eyes are always busy. But uh, you can do that anchor.fm slash the C report or look for us on any uh, podcast platform uh, that, that might be out there. We're on just about all of them except for iHeartRadio. And every time you do, uh, you actually support the C report and our efforts here. Um, so that goes a long way uh, to keep us on the air and keep us going. And as always, uh, for the friends and family over at the foxhole.app and pill.net, thank you for your support and for being in attendance tonight. Um, and also for your gold pill support, railing on, thank you for the cookie and 1776, 1776, uh, Gold coins coming in from WC Crane Ops, sir. Uh, thank you so much for your generosity. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, scratching has been released. We will see you again tomorrow for another edition of the Sea Report. We'll see what headlines we'll be cracking into manana. And until then, ladies and gentlemen, as always, uh, be blessed, be safe, and God bless America. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs>